Welcome to the Quack 12 Podcast, the most official, unofficial, Oregon Ducks podcast on the web footosphere. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Quack 12 Podcast or visit our website, quack12podcast.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us five stars on your listening device. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit the Quack 12 Patreon page, where for a measly $5 a month, you can become an official quacky and unlock hundreds of hours of Oregon Duck content. On to the show. Quack, 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 quack. Guess who's back? That is right. Day of Addicted to Quack is back on the show. How you doing, Day? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good because we're talking about, I, th- I think out of all the Pac-12 schools that we have covered and will cover, this seems to be the one where I guess information is a little bit harder to, to find on the actual specifics of who's starting where. Uh, would you say this has presented a, a uh, specific challenge out of all these so far? Uh, well, definitely. Uh, UCLA does not uh, post their uh, 2023, you know, roster until August generally or, you know, whatever the year it is. Uh, so we're always sort of left guessing. And then on top of that, they, you know, Chip Kelly tends to play a little coy with, uh, <laughs> you know, who's playing what position. And there's usually a little bit of staff turnover um, for pretty, you know, unfortunate reasons this year. So, yeah, it's it, it always a challenge to, to crack the code with Chip Kelly. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation uh, with our very knowledgeable guest. That is right. Uh, we had to get an expert to, uh, you, you know, a lot. There's going to be, I think our friend here, Michael Hanna, Michael Hanna of the B-Team podcast, will be in kind of the same boat as we are because only Chip Kelly knows exactly what's going on. And maybe even he's kind of shooting from the hip. But it's nice to have someone who's so familiar with this Bruin team. Uh, how you doing, Michael Hanna of the B Team Podcast? Adam Hithleday, I'm doing well. Uh, I've actually been since you reached out a couple of weeks ago. I, I've really been looking forward to this because I remember how much fun I had going over this last year. And oh, nice. um, I, I we did a we did a preview episode for the UCLA Oregon game where I got everything about that game wrong, if I remember correctly. But um, you know, <laughs> besides that, like, you know, no, uh, doing well. I, you you didn't this. get too much wrong. I mean, I, I went back and listened to it. I, th- that preview article that I wrote of that game was the most accurate preview article that I wrote all year. I mean, like if anybody wants to, to read that article and then turn around and call me an a-hole, like good luck. Like, I, I mean, I nailed that. Um, I mean, I didn't nail the onside kick cause I don't really do special teams, but other than that, like, yeah, it was bang on accurate, Michael. And I couldn't have done it without you. Like, um, I mean, down to like, you know, specific like predictions about how UCLA operates in the red zone, which turned out really to be the turning point in the game. You know, the fact that UCLA was limiting themselves to field goals in the red zone and why that was and specifically like how the offensive line operated and how the run game operated in the red zone. Like you nailed all of that stuff. And those were the reasons that UCLA didn't have the points that they needed to win that game. Like yeah, man, D- don't be down on yourself. You uh, nailed it. Yeah, why are you guys giving me a hard time? I nailed that game. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, but I, I enjoy hopping on with you guys. And uh, let, let's do this. I, I mean, there, there's a lot to cover when it comes to UCLA football um, in terms of actually getting ourselves up to speed because Lord knows that Chip Kelly is not going to make it easy for anyone like you guys were mentioning. So, yeah, yeah we got some I imagine- stuff to dive into. 
just the local media uh, just asking specific questions about the roster. I just remember that clip uh, in the post-game interview when Chip Kelly yells at the fans, will you shut the hell up? Like That's just what I imagine that's like. <laughs> Was it this spring practice or the previous spring pa- practice? I, or no, no, it might have been a fall camp, actually. There was, I think there were only two reporters at the, at the practice, mm. and that's just because Chip had made it almost impossible for any of them to see anything that was going on. And they just kind of gave up on going to practice until they changed the rules. They're like, they're like uh, not an official boycott, but like a boycott of sorts. Like it, it's been an interesting time as far as covering the UCLA program. I'll put it that way. Well, that's the other thing that's been frustrating is they didn't have, I, I don't understand how the PAC 12 allowed this because they have a specific contract, which requires them to televise a spring game. And then UCLA didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Instead, what they did was that they just had open practice. All 15 of their spring practices were open practices, but then they blocked off like they made it, as you said, they made it virtually impossible for the media to observe something like seven of the 15 practices. So it was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, it's been difficult to figure, uh, you know figure anything out here you have to protect the the trade secrets that allow you to lose to arizona in the second to last week of the season like (laughs) if you're imagine how many more games they would have lost last season if them that those media scoundrels had been allowed to see what was cooking beneath the surface and and i mean they didn't get to watch any of the uh the all the extra practices that they got for bull prep um going into their dramatic loss to pit i mean (laughs) oh man i I could snark about all this stuff all day. Should I stop it or should I keep going? Uh, let's let's go know, straight yeah. into a sore spot for Oregon. Let's uh, maybe talk about the UCLA QB situation, or is that where you're going? Yeah. Today? Well, <laughs> I, I just uh, let's talk a little bit about the structure of the offense before we get into personnel. I, you know, they, I, I don't believe they made any offensive staff changes on the at all, right? Not that I can recall. I'm not really, you know, expecting anything structurally to change, although I wasn't expecting that uh, last year either. And they did undergo sort of a, a uh, something pretty unexpected, you know, up, you know, for the first, I think, four years that Chip Kelly was in UCLA 2018 to 2021. It was this roller coaster where like every week you would try out a new playbook, just this massive, just ridiculous playbook that was like three and a half times bigger than any other teams. And then in 2022, this like crazy thing happened where he did what like I feel like everybody was calling out for him to do, which was just like, could you write the best of album? You know, it was just like sort of classic, you know, Chip Kelly stuff, like just play your good stuff, like zone read stuff, you know, a lot of 11 personnel. He sort of got away from the 14 personnel, like tight end nonsense, a whole lot of Y cross. Cause he had like a good Y receiver and Bobo and was sort of like, huh, what the heck? You know, he actually did it. That aspect of the offense didn't change the fact that Chip Kelly almost want to throw the ball to two guys at any given time. You know, it was just Jake Bobo and Kaz allen um uh and like everybody else in the field are just decoys so anyway like you know so some things stayed the same other things changed about it are you you know what do you think are there going to be you know some more changes you know to this offensive playbook or are you expecting anything what do you what do you think i think that they're going to be a little bit more it's weird to say because i was about to say i feel like they're going to be a little bit more pass heavy given that the receiver group is probably the strength of the team going into the season but you then consider the fact that mm. it's a completely new quarterback yeah without, without dtr but then also no zach charbonnet so i mean ucla at the positions that they had um the two their two-star players last year 
probably have the that's probably where they have their two biggest question marks coming into the season. So um, I, I like TJ Harden at running back. We're going to get into that. Um, Carson Steele obviously transferred UCLA from I think yeah. he was at Ball State or something like that, right. and he'll he'll be part of the running back rotation. We'll see who wins the quarterback battle. The receivers are the strength of the team, so you would think that spreading the ball around would be to their uh, redound to their benefit. But it's just it, it's hard to know going in based on how much trust chip might or might not give his quarterback based on experience so we'll see well and the other thing that's really difficult is that chip kelly at ucla and dorian thompson robinson at ucla are perfectly congruent right like they've they have you know we have not seen ucla under chip kelly without dtr except for the times the dtr been injured Mm -hmm. It, it is entirely possible that you know a lot of the idiosyncrasies that i've attributed to chip kelly over the years and that i've been like yelling at chris osgood the film reviewer for bruin report online you know via twitter dms which like oh my god like every week he and i get into it like a lot of the idiosyncrasies that i attribute to chip kelly may just be dtr idiosyncrasies i'll tell you about the two receiver or like only throwing to a couple guys at at a time if Uh you look at the games that ethan garber started for dtr i think the year before last when he started at i definitely noted it's it's opened up all around lot more i think it might that might have been a dtr thing more than anything else to be honest but entirely possible. This year, but i i have that theory going into this season that if ethan garbers end up, ends up the starter or even dante Moore, i don't think it'll be colin schley we'll talk about this later but i think that ucla by just by function of having a different quarterback is going to use its receiving weapons a little bit more or, even just beyond any directives from chip kelly or, you know, as we have mentioned, you know, it is very difficult to disentangle scheme from personnel. But while we are still on scheme, the other thing that I should m- note and is another thing that I butted heads with Chris, you know, about over and over and over again is that like and I want to be careful in picking my words here because UCLA fans often sort of blow a gasket if I don't get this exactly right, is that like. It is not that I think the DTR is a one read quarterback, but I do think that this was a one read offense. I, I thought that the way that Chip Kelly was writing his playbook was that, you know, the the play design, the passing play design was about getting a, a particular dude open, or maybe there was a second guy in the read, but that was it. It really would go to two at most, and that everybody else in the passing pattern was a decoy about like, you know, that it wasn't like the way that you would see the way that, you know, Air Cordial took over, you know, football, all foot levels of football, and you would have, you know, a four, four-man passing progression where the quarterback would stand in the pocket and go one, two, three, four down the progression, and Chip Kelly was like, like the man alone, like, no, I'm not going to go down to four. It's going to go one, maybe two. And if, the, you know, it's not there, then just run Dorian. And a lot of UCLA fans like did not like me saying that because they interpreted that as like, this guy can't be an NFL quarterback because, you know, he just panics and runs. And I'm, I was like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that like, that's how Chip Kelly wants it, that he just wants to use his athletic advantage. Like he, he, Chip Kelly thinks that he can design the play to make that one receiver be open to get a huge play. And that's what the, the, why he's only throwing it to two dudes. Cause it's like, 
of course he is. There's only going to be one guy open on the play and, and that, you know, that would redound to DTR's benefit or that that would work well with DTR's athletic advantages. Cause like, Oh my God, what a runner, you know, like, mm-hmm. and again, that's, I'm not trying to damn him with faint praise. I'm really, am. that's just praise, praise, like what a runner, you know, man, like, I think, I, I think we're going to see this. See, I think this season is going to show us a lot or it's going to, let me, let me rephrase that. Let me backtrack a little bit. I think the season is going to provide us to the extent that it matters uh, at all. But I think that for the people who are curious, it, this season is going to provide us with a lot of context for what we have seen in the past few seasons. I mean, that's yeah. rewriting history in a sense at the end of the day. But well, regardless, I know what you mean. I, like it but, will yeah. provide us like backwards looking, like a retroactive context for mm-hmm. understanding that past era. Sort of like, you know, a scientific experiment, you know, it'll allow us to tease out variables. Yeah. And so, I, and actually it's funny you mentioned Chris because he and I were DM after I came on with you guys last summer and he was actually telling me something very similar as far as you know if you he, he, he Chris because of just the perfectionist that he is and I freaking love the guy um Chris and I have known each other uh, online for a very long time we've DM'd about so many things and he's just one of the guys I really enjoy talking to and I've enjoyed talking to him before he was uh, he and I have been in touch before he was even even had his profile at like uh, 24 7 when he was at Bruins Nation everyone's favorite angry place he yeah. was like the no, one like everybody oh. here has been banned from it so <laughs> he was like the one island of reason back in those days but um, he and I have been talking even going that, back that far but uh, Hith when you and I had talked last summer uh, he was actually showing me clips no joke he was sending me clips if i remember correctly of of plays where dtr went to like his third or his fourth read or something like that like see see here's an example (laughs) yeah i know yeah but and he's he i am not i won't ever pretend to ever be on his level or on your level my ultimate barometer is does this fit the personnel that we have on the field? Sure. Is this use it like, for example, the way that you're mentioning DTR, if it's, if it happens to be where it's a two read play and then DTR runs, well, you're right. At that point, you're used, you are taking advantages of his, taking advantage of his strengths because a play that drags out that long, the, the if he gets the two reads and he's still upright and still has a pocket to work with, has room to maneuver at that point, his athleticism is the trump card on the field. So it would make sense to work things out that way. Um, as opposed to somebody like a Dante Moore, who, if he starts for UCLA, yeah, he's probably going to have his true freshman, uh, you know, hiccups and all that kind of stuff. But he is a guy who is more comfortable sitting in the park pocket and picking you apart and kind of scanning the field. That's that was his big strength in high school. And that's the that is the read on him that he has a lot of those like Bryce Young intangibles in him. So, I mean, we're going to see a lot about I think that oh, this man, year is going to show us a lot of context is Brian Bryce Young. But, uh, you know, I was that? I, I don't think the comp for Dante Moore is Bryce Young at all, but like I oh, interesting. I, who would who do you think it would be? I'm I'm curious because I I've read Bryce Young, I've read Chad is, Pennington, I've read a couple others. Ooh, Pennington's an interesting comp. The thing about Moore that is astonishing if you watch his his throwing motion is that his base is so quiet, like whisper quiet. Like he does not generate. He is he is so nonviolent from his base. Like uh, it's just uh, astonishing how much power and accuracy he's generating from his torso and arm alone. Like I'm not sure I've ever seen that. You know, from a, a you know that much accuracy from just just whipping it smoothly from his arm. Like I don't know what the comp is honestly. And like that's not Bryce Young's throwing motion um, at all. I don't know, man. But in terms of like you know 
analyzing the play and throwing from the pocket, like, yeah, like, you know, Dante Moore and, and Dorian Thompson Robinson are very different quarterbacks. You like, sure. that's the point that you're making. Like, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, we've already started talking about the quarterbacks. So, you know, let's continue. It, it's a, it's actually a, an interesting room. Ethan Garbers, you already mentioned, you know, is the returning quarterback with the most experience. I think he threw like 37 passes, you know, last year. Um, you know, he's a former four star. He came in from Washington. You know, it's interesting because I, I sort of think like if you asked me, I would think he's the low man on the totem pole because, you know, the other options being more who I think is like an otherworldly talent, but is a true freshman. And I don't believe comes in until the fall. Right. Like, I, I don't think he's been practicing in the spring or am I wrong about that? Dante more practice in spring in the spring. OK, yeah, yeah. yeah he came in early. Then uh, Colin Schley, um, who came in from, oh, no, I'm going to keep screwing this up because I don't have the UCLA roster. My my usual way of cluing me in for whether or not guys have been practicing in the spring is whether or not they have a jersey number. But, of course, I don't I, know that. because Schley was in practice. All of UCLA's quarterbacks were in practice. All right. So you're going to have to help me out with all. Oh, I'm going to have to absolutely. ask you every single time who was in practice. <laughs> I got you. Um, for the no, no, it, it is definitely it is definitely a strange one. I think, God, Justin Martin is six. Uh, Garbers was four. I know He's what the returners are because, like, I, I have 2022's roster. But for the the incomers, I don't uh, um, I don't recall more or Schley. I don't recall their numbers, but I know they both practiced. Well, I, I, I yeah, OK, fine. Um, okay. So. So, yeah, so the returners are Garbers, Chase Griffin, who I guess is an artist in residence now. Uh, <laughs> he, he was like the backup in 2020. It was like, I kind of liked him. He's just he's kind of short and a little unathletic. And then Justin Martin, um, who was the 2022 recruit. Mm -hmm. I actually don't know anything about Justin Martin. I guess I'll pause here. What do you think of Justin Martin? Justin Martin has the highest physical upside of any of the quarterbacks on this roster. He, he really? is. Oh, when you Justin, say physical. What do you mean? I mean, he has the strongest arm. He has the biggest build. He's the fastest. He like in terms of like, you want to call If you want to talk about arm strength, you want to talk about foot speed, it, it, the, the stuff that is not between the ears, as far as a quarterback in terms of processing accuracy, all that kind of stuff. He is the guy who is more, more of a combine warrior than anybody else on the corporate quarterback roster. I guess that's the best mm -hmm. way I can put it. Do you think he's Justin a dummy? Martin? Do I think what do you think he's a dummy? No, I don't think he's a dummy. I think that he's a kid who did not have nearly as much uh, development in high school uh, because I, if I remember correctly, he only started one year, a year and a half, something like that at Inglewood. Like Dante Moore started four years. Yeah, um, right. Big difference. Dustin uh, Martin just has a bit of a development curve. He didn't play the nearly the level of competition that, for example, Ethan Garbers did uh, playing in, I think it was the uh, second division of CIF, the one just underneath the Trinity League. Dante Moore, obviously highest level of Michigan football, which is, you know, not not the Trinity League, but not bad necessarily. Colin Schley coming off of his experience at Kent State. I mean, they're just, they're different. He's at a different place in his development curve. I guess I'll put it this way. He's the highest ceiling out of anybody here. Yeah. Like if he had, if he today had Dante Moore's ability to process the field and hit receivers in stride, Justin Moore would be a top five pick in the NFL draft. Like he is, he is a combine warrior every way, shape and form. And then if he learns how to play quarterback at a high level, he is somebody who can take over a game. 
Well, and then I guess I'll complete the metaphor for you. Colin Schley, who transfers in from uh, Kent State, you would describe as the high floor guy, right? You know, he started, you know, he's a redshirt senior, started 11 games last year, you know, 266 pass attempts, 98 rushing attempts, you know, he sort of looks like a poor man's Dorian Thompson Robinson. That's what I was going to say. Yep. It's sort of like everything else goes wrong with all these other four stars who are in the room, Garbers and Martin and, and more, you know, and I guess we should also mention the other true freshman, you know, Luke Duncan, or who's like a borderline four star, like, you know, so it's like, you know, the room's stuffed with talent, right? You know, there's like four blue chips in the room. And then there's Colin Schley, you know, who's who's like the old man uh, who's been a starting at a G5 school, you know, for all this time. So it's like, well, if everything else goes wrong, you know, you, you've got this guy. Uh, is that I don't know. I'm, I'm being a little glib, but like, am I being wrong? No, Colin Schley. I'm I'm still surprised one that UCLA took him. I don't think that when they took him, they anticipated getting Dante more or maybe they did. And they were just like, hey, another talented guy wants to join. Screw it. Let's bring him on i don't know what he gained from it necessarily because it is an extremely competitive room where i don't think that he is the favorite or even the second he favorite. it's a ucla education man that, that's worth something right it is and he probably won't play in the nfl so yeah i guess that's fair enough he is a redshirt senior at the end of the day so he did have his grand transfer to use um and yeah he is somebody who he's going to bring a little bit more of that running element more than more garbers would so he is somebody who is yeah he's the floor I guess, uh, like you said, I, I would agree with that. If all else falls out, if Dante Moore is just swimming in his first year, if Ch if Ethan Garbers, I was going to say Chase Garbers, God forbid, if Ethan Garbers mm. it just doesn't cut it, then at that point you can fall back on somebody like Schley and you can operate at a relatively decent and predictable level. But you're, you know, what, what you're, what you're hoping for if you're a UCLA fan is that one of the four stars, you know, beats him out, right? You know, Garbers or Martin or Moore, you know, puts it together. Martin and Moore are are younger, uh, obviously. Garbers has been around for a while. You know, you, you understand why he isn't taking the job away from Thompson Robinson because, like, who the hell is going to take Thompson Robinson's job away? So, you know, I don't really knock him for that. But, like, I guess I'd put it this way, like, it's Garber's job to lose, but I kind of think he's going to lose it. I'm like, do you think I'm wrong about that? I don't think you're wrong because I think the reports coming out of uh, spring ball were that Garber's was the most consistent performer and that he was improved from where he showed last fall. But at the same time, Dante Moore was not so far off that, and this is him as a true freshman that with a little bit of a leap, I mean, do you invest in a year of Ethan Garbers or two years of Ethan Garbers, or do you invest in three years exactly. of Dante Moore? That's exactly what I was framing. Yeah. It. So at, at that I mean, point, I didn't really watch Justin Martin's tape. The way that you described mm -hmm. him sounds like kind of amazing. When I watched Dante Moore's tape, because you know, he was, you know, an Oregon guy for a while there, and I was watching his huddle film, and I mean my heart stopped. You know, like mm -hmm. that guy's holy cow, man. And the way you describe Justin Moore sounds like some holy cow stuff. And when I watch Ethan Garbers and I've been able to watch him play actual real life college football, like my heart doesn't stop. Yeah. And the thing with Ethan Garbers is there's two things, actually. The first is that he has a propensity to check down way more than yep. I think Chip Kelly would like to see. Yep. Um, he doesn't really push the ball downfield. And when you have 
speedy options at the receiver position in uh, J. Michael Sturdivant, who we're going to get to the transfer from Cal, uh, mm-hmm. Cam Brown, who's a decently fast receiver, to a TMA, Titus Mokiao, Ati Malala, or like Logan Loya. Like UCLA has some pretty speedy um, uh, receiving options. They're moving Keegan Jones to the slot as a receiver as well. Ooh, and having him work that. as a, interesting. Yeah, they're having him work as a hybrid. So he worked with the receivers all uh, f- spring. And I believe he's going to split his time between receivers and running back in the fall and see where it takes him essentially where he can get on the field the best because at the end of the day the speed is the thing for him but he is not a good running back at all in terms of instincts so um mm. he might be better suited in the slot considering the fact that he's a decent pass catcher so but there, there is there is speed to be used to take the top off of the defense and ethan garbers might not be the guy to take advantage of that given his natural more conservative tendencies with checking down so i there's there are a couple of things to consider with that scheme fit with kind of ideology with the way you want to push the field and do certain things with the offense that i think will lead it lead to it being Dante Moore. I mean, Dante Moore doesn't have like Michael Vick, for example. Uh, Dante Moore or Ethan Garbers? I know the Garbers is not a runner. Is Dante Moore <laughs> a runner from what you've seen in practice? He can run, but it's not his I don't think he's Jordan do. Thompson Robinson's run. No, I mean, not that was, you not know, look, man, like I'm not trying to re- relitigate the battle or be like, hey, Dante, t- transfer back to Oregon. You know, you want to. <laughs> That's not the point of this comment. But I mean, the thing that I was, uh, uh, that I, I was kind of shocked when he pulled the trigger and flipped to UCLA. And the reason was I knew that Chip Kelly wanted a super runner as a quarterback. And frankly, because I think that a super runner quarterback kind of bails Chip Kelly out of Chip Kelly outsmarting himself a lot. And I didn't think that that was Dante Moore. And so when he actually, you know, flipped, I was like, huh, how's Chip Kelly going to use a guy who's not, who's more of a pocket guy. Dante Moore can run. I, I, this is actually where I think the Bryce Young comparison comes in in terms of just uh, similar. Moore is bigger, obviously, but they're similarly wiry. And what they'll do uh-huh. is they'll navigate the pocket, find a little bit of space, and then they'll carve out five or six yards and just kind of move things along. Yeah, that's what I've but seen I mean, that's Dante different Moore. than the way the DTR runs. You oh, know? for sure. Oh, it's completely different paradigm. They, they are not polar opposite quarterbacks, but they are they are dissimilar quarterbacks. I mean, that's why we spent yeah. all that time. You know, that's why I wanted to spend all that time talking in the intro about, you know, the scheme and the way that Chip Kelly uses quarterbacks in the sort of one read and then run, you know, kind of deal and not trying to blame DTR for being that way and saying that's Chip Kelly. That's, you know, it was like my, m- the way that I would go about uh, trying to predict how Chip Kelly would make this decision is like, I would maybe the first thing that I would look for, or if not the first thing, the second thing that I would look for is who's, who's the, who's the best runner. Well, who's the best runner. When I read the scouting report on the guys, the guy that you guys flipped from Baylor, I forget his name, but he sounded more of that profile than, than Dante Moore did. Mm. I don't know. Do you think that Martin has that ability? Martin has the ability to run the ball for sure. Martin's problem is decision making right now. It's mm-hmm. it's pure inconsistency in making the right decision. Um, it, it, it's the game still moves a little bit too fast for him from everything mm-hmm. that I've read. This is an interesting conundrum. Do do you want to put down a marker for who you think it's going to wind up being? Yeah, I think it's going to be Dante Moore. Hmm. Do you think that's going to require restructuring the offense to be something that's pretty different than what we saw over the last five years? No, because I think that if you take what UCLA did when Ethan Garbers was quarterback, the games where Ethan Garbers started, they were scoring in the mid to high 20s anyway. And I think Moore is a better – Garbers – 
has seemed to me like somebody who is likely to blink when the lights are on. And that's not a criticism on the guy. It's just something where he just doesn't have that much experience. Dante Moore has spent the last four years starting at, and I know it's high school, but at the same time he is coming in like Garbers almost feels like he's cold in a sense. Like he spent so much time on the bench in that way. Um, Dante Moore coming off of starting for his high school, coming off of starring for his high school. I think he just comes in carrying himself a little bit differently and feeling like he can play, like he can be brave in college football in a way that Ethan Garbers probably has. I have absolutely zero doubts that you are a hundred percent correct. That Dante Moore will be a better pocket passer right now. This instant, if we had to play a football game, you know, right now at eight o'clock in the PM on uh, May the 30th, that Dante Moore would outperform Ethan Garbers from the pocket, but in the chip Kelly offense, I'm having a hard time imagining a non-running quarterback or a non-like super fleet of foot quarterback in a Chip Kelly offense. Like I don't even know what that looked like. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm seriously having a hard time wrapping my head around it. Like uh, Nick Foles. I was like, just gonna say Nick Foles. Actually, that's that, that's where I was gonna go with it. Nick hmm. Foles was yeah the first thing that came to mind when when you were talking about that. The other thing that kind of puts a bit of a premium on the quarterback needing to run in this offense is the fact that they just, they don't seem to care about recruiting the offensive line all that oh, much. Oh yeah, man. Well, we'll, which we'll get to in the offensive yeah. line. Well, yeah, so, man. I mean, like that's the other thing that I would wind up butting heads about UCLA fans, you know, all the time is like, Hey, we see, we keep sending offensive linemen to the, you know, NFL. So therefore we have great offensive line. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, guys, like it's like, it's not how the NFL recruits or drafts offensive linemen. It's just like, yeah. I mean, that's the, the games that UCLA lost, they lost because the offensive line was inadequate. And the, the reason that, that they, you know, had red zone problems always came down to the offensive line, you know, offensive line failures, like third down failures, you know, they, they came down to offensive line problems. And like, you're absolutely right about recruiting and development of the offensive line. I mean, it's a bunch of like low three stars and walk-ons and it always has been. And then like, and Kelly's trying to like solve these problems out of the transfer portal, which is just like, Oh my God, dude. All right. Let's save it. Yes. I, I am. Mean, yeah, man. I mean, I, I totally agree. Like we're just taking that as axiomatic. Yes. I a hundred percent agree whether chip Kelly wants a running quarterback or not he needs a running quarterback because his offensive line puts his quarterback in that position which is why you know which is why i keep coming back to you know grilling you about like who can run who can run who can run because mm-hmm. like uh, man i sort of i i feel like that's the dispositive depo- question i think that they're gonna i think the way that it's gonna go is that Dante Moore is going to show enough in fall camp that they're going to say, you know, we're going to invest three years in this guy. He came here, um, kind of took a leap of faith going to a program that isn't offering nearly as much in NIL. And I, I understand that UCLA had to step up in terms of NIL compared to where it usually is in order to lure Dante Moore, but they still didn't pay like, for example, what you mm-hmm. hear that Tennessee paid for uh, and Nico, uh, I am a, I, I, that's a name I'm absolutely going to get wrong, but like Jaden Rashada at Florida before that deal fell apart, for example, yeah. UCLA didn't go anywhere near that, so, but they made an investment in Dante Moore for, they, I, I'm almost certain of that. And I mean, they played Dorian Thompson Robinson for five years. 
And they, you know, yeah, they've well, I, shown that they will stick with a quarterback and kind of ride it out through his development. And so I think that that's what Dante Moore saw. He saw a vacant position to play court, a vacant spot to play quarterback. Um, he saw a program that will play a true freshman, a quarterback friendly, a guy with a quarterback friendly reputation in Chip Kelly and a chance to live in Los Angeles. And I, at that point, if somebody of that caliber, when you have not been able to win for like at all on the recruiting trail has put that kind of faith in you, you have to show that faith back in him. It, it just, it just seems like one of those like psychological things that you have to follow through on almost. I don't know, mm. but I think it's going to be Dante Moore. I think he's going to have his ups and his downs, but I think that, I mean, that base just level of talent is there and there's going to come uh, my prediction for him is that the, if the offensive line can keep him remotely upright, there's going to come a time in the season where it turns on for him and he's going to, he's not going to turn into Bryce Young, for example, overnight, but I think he's going to be a very good Pac-12 quarterback by the end of the season and going into the sophomore year, he'll have a little bit of buzz around him at that point. That's how I think it will go. Uh, the schedule might not be as conducive to that considering it. Well, you know what? At the back end of it, it's not Oh man, horrible. the UCLA schedule is pretty friendly. Um, no, no. You know, that, they don't I play Oregon or Washington. That's, like. that's the part that I forgot. I forgot we don't play Oregon or Washington this year, which no, makes like I, a little I bit actually think there's a pretty better. good odds that UCLA, you know, just sort of walks into the Pac-12 championship game, Let's you see. know, like assuming they don't screw up against some team that they, sh you know, which is like, you know that they're the better Arizona than which is like, yeah exactly which is a very like chip kelly thing i mean like uh, you know that's the thing about like you know I, I spent you know when i was writing my ucla preview article last year um like uh, you know right before the game i was this whole time i was just like what's the playbook gonna be you know like and i was like i, I gotta figure out how to outsmart chip kelly this is an impossible task and then i was like wait a minute no i don't like and dan lanning doesn't have to figure out how to outsmart chip kelly either you know because the there's the the master of outsmarting chip kelly is always in the stadium and you know who, who that guy's name is don't you michael Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly. Let's talk no, about the I running agree. backs. Uh, yeah, so um, you got TJ Harden and Carson Steele who were pushing each other for the top spot on the TJ Harden for... was really interesting, man, because yep. he ran 7.4 yards per carry on on a not insubstantial number of carries, you know, like he... like Christian Grubb ran like 7.1 mm. yards per carry on like eight carries and then transferred out. Um, but like Harden ran on like 44, it was like pretty damn good. Um, Charbonnet Harden... did like seven yards per carry on 195, so yeah. like. Yeah, so that's why he got drafted in the second round. Um, he's but he's like, rather good at football, it turns out. Um, yeah, Harden was pretty damn good. Like, yeah. um, I, I was curious, why did he only play in six games? Did he get hurt? Yeah, I think that there was he carried an injury midway through last season, then he came okay. on back towards the end of the season. Um, and I know that they were uh, they were trying to work him in a little bit more because they wanted somebody who could be a little bit tougher between the tackles than Keegan Jones was. And they mm -hmm. wanted to keep uh, Kaz Allen fresh to uh, run routes, but they ended up having to use him at running back in a couple games. Uh, yeah. Colson Yankoff got some time in with the running yeah, backs. Colson Yankoff, man, is a Washington <laughs> quarterback, turns into a UCLA wide receiver, turns into a UCLA running back, which uh, like that sounds about right for Washington quarterbacks. It's about how good they usually are. Um so, you know, that, that one's, you're he's not, so tall though, you you're know, not buying like, the Penix hype for next season. He's not a Washington quarterback. He's an Indiana quarterback. 
but he was not this good at Indiana. He played a whole lot. He, better was, he was he actually got... better in 2019. His his passer oh, really? rating his passer rating was six point higher in 2019. Is um, that the good year that that's Indiana not my had? point? I mean the, uh, the quarterbacks anyway. the Washington recruits. Yeah. That, that, no, no, I the got. Oh, oh no, 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 no. That is a very well known thing at this point. Um, um unless they, unless they're Jake Hayner, but even he had to go to Fresno State to become like the Ur Jake. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, I'm a big believer in TJ Harden. I totally believe you about Keegan Jones switching to uh, a receiver. In fact, they were like throwing him the ball a lot. That was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all of them are going to get chased out the room um, by Carson Steele, <laughs> the Ball State transfer. Just like, oh my God, like his, I mean, his numbers are bonkers at, at, at Ball State. Not that Ball State was a particularly fantastic team. It was like a five and seven team last year, but he had a, hun- a thousand and 722 yards last year from scrimmage like 37 percent of ball state's offense was carson Steele. he had he had more than 45 percent of all touches of the football team it's like their entire offense was this one guy it was crazy he Uh, will be he will be surprised to know what it feels like to actually feel fresh during a football game. Yeah. <laughs> Considering no, that he and Harden are going to be, it, it's very likely that he and Harden are going to have an almost even split of carries. Yeah. Uh, the, I, the coaches really like Harden. Harden was probably the better running back in spring ball. Uh, Steel had some ball security issues uh, based on the reports that I read from 24 seven, but um, Steel and Harden is a very, very good and very passable Pac-12 running back duo. And then behind them, I mean, Yankoff had a really good game against the, the one game where he really got any run was against Arizona State, and he actually wasn't horrible at it. Uh, they also have uh, Deshaun Morrell, who's just not he wasn't part of spring ball and nobody can figure out what has happened to him since he's gotten to UCLA. He was a four star recruit out of Alabama. Yeah. Anthony Adkins, the fullback from Army, from Army. Uh, transfer yeah, I think he was to like- UCLA. Yep. Yeah, I, I got his 2021 stats because his 2022 he doesn't have any stats. Do you, do you mm. know what that was about? I think it was an injury. Mm. I don't recall though. Yeah, um, I mean they, they yeah, got a bunch of gonna, running backs. You know, like he's gonna I, be the goal line back. He's gonna be the one yeah. who, if you play Pac-12 fantasy, is gonna steal your touchdowns from TJ Harden and from Carson mm-hmm. Steele, and you're gonna curse him and all that kind of stuff. But UCLA has needed a short yardage back for forever. Um, I mean Zach Charbonnet is obviously an extremely tough runner, but you really don't want your lead back getting beat the the hell beaten out of him on the goal line after he's carried you halfway down the field that, that you know um he's only so fresh at that point anthony adkins is going to be a short yardage specialist and they're gonna i will predict that there will be at least two plays this season where there's gonna be a play action fake that, where they fake it to anthony adkins he, he sneaks out of the backfield and they hit him for a pass where he takes it for over 30 yards because Atkins actually has surprisingly very good hands as well for an army player. So mm-hmm. I think that they are going to use that as a little bit of a secret weapon when they need to bail themselves, themselves out of some nonsense. So um, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on with the UCLA running back depth chart. They have a lot of useful pieces and it's just going to be about finding uh, the right fit for them in the, in the right way to rotate them. So, I think there is one freshman, Isaiah Carlson, uh who comes who comes in isaiah carlson he came in as a running back uh he played in the spring um he has uh, he has a decent amount of athleticism i think that given the fact that uh yankoff is gone next year carson Steele probably has two years 
TJ Harden certainly has two years because he's a sophomore right now, if not three years. Um, Keegan Jones is gone. Adkins has two years. Carlson isn't going to play running back for at least two years for UCLA based on the depth chart. I have a suspicion he will end up at linebacker for UCLA down the line, but we will see. Hmm. He played both running back and linebacker coming out. of. I think he's from the state of Washington. I mean, he's not Miles Jack, but um, I think he will end up at linebacker for UCLA. He's listed as a running back on 24-7, but I believe he played linebacker for Ferndale. So I think that he will end up at linebacker down the road, but that is just a theory. Interesting. Is there anybody else in the room that I we haven't talked about? I don't think there is. Uh, but- we mentioned Morrell. Nope, that's yeah. everybody. I mean, okay. th- th- you have your walk-ons or whatever, but they're not going to see the field with sure. this much depth ahead of them. I always got to ask that question with UCLA. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the tight ends. All right. I believe there are three departures here. Uh, Michael Azike, uh, mm-hmm. David Preby, and yep. I believe Michael Mati- Martinez sort of left the team just before the year started. Correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, I think that's it for the departures. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't believe they got any prep recruits for this unit. Not that I can recall. I, yeah, you're. Yeah, there's there's no true freshman on the uh, depth chart. That's correct. One portal addition, which is Maliki Matavau from Oregon, mm-hmm. who's interesting. He's sort of Oregon went from having a very big tight end room, um, because Kenny Dillingham, you know, used a lot of two tight end sets to, uh, suddenly having a very small uh tight end room. You know, part of that is you know Will Stein is more of an eleven personnel guy. Part of it is mm-hmm. sort of like two guys hit the portal simultaneously, and I don't think. I, I don't think the either of them thought the other guy was going to transfer out. So suddenly Oregon was sort of like, oh shit, guys, <laughs> like you weren't both supposed to go. But anyway, UCLA, yeah, I, you know, I don't think there was any knock on Matavau. He was just sort of the odd man out. And uh, yeah, I think he's a really good pickup for UCLA. Uh, I'm not sure he's exactly the guy that they need in terms of replacing. Oh shoot. Who's the, who's the tight end before Habermel? Um, there was Devin Asiasi, there was Dulcich, there Dulcich was just the guy yeah. I was thinking of. Oh, oh they're, they're they're not comparable. They're different players. Yeah, I think they are too. But like you know, Chip Kelly wants a tight end to throw to, and I don't think that that was Habermel last year. Like I, I think there was a reason why Bobo was the guy. You know, the 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 tall. The, you know, Bobo wasn't a tight end, but Bobo was the Dulcich of that offense instead of it being Habermel, if you yeah. know what I mean. He, he was the he was the tall possession receiver who was the outlet for the quarterback, yeah. the safe out the, the safety valve of sorts. Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, and while he does have, you know, some other tall receivers in the room now, like, uh, you know, Sturdivant um, and and Kyle Ford, we'll talk about the wide receivers in a little bit. I think that. Uh, you know, I basically think, you know, while we're restricting ourselves to the tight ends, the tight end that he's going to want to throw the ball to is going to be Matavau and not Habermel. Yeah, he's he's not a great Habermel is the way he fits in is more of a blocking type of a role for sure. Uh, big, strong body, athletic enough to get out to the edge and kind of seal decent enough hands, but bad enough that he'll drop the ball every once in a while. And you, you wouldn't consider him a safety valve in that regard. If Matavau shows a better propensity to hold onto the ball while also being an equal or better blocker to Habermel, I think Mata, it's Matavau's job to lose. Yeah. All right. Well, look, I, I spend it, you know, all this time that he was at Oregon charting him. Yeah. He's that, you know, I don't have any doubt about that. It was just that like Dulcich was a walk on tight end. And then he got all that play, right? And then he went to the NFL. And then Habermel's a walk on tight end. And I, I feel like a lot of people were just like, hey, 
hey, it'll be the same. And I'm like, it's not going to be the same, guys. You know, yeah, like totally different players. Uh, Dulcich came out of high school as a, if I remember correctly, he was actually a pretty lean wide receiver and he grew into a smaller type of a tight end, but a pass catching type of a tight end. Habermel has always been the thicker type who played tight end when he was in high school. And he has, uh, and at UCLA, he's never been like the live guy who can, t- Dulcich had moments where he took, 10 yard passes and turned them into 50 yard gains. Habermel does not have that capability. They're, they're different guys entirely. Like Habermel is solid with fundamentals, decent route running, all that kind of stuff. It really is a hands issue for him and get the ability mm-hmm. to get open. Uh, he doesn't have that the way I mean, that did. So the, yeah. the thing that should be said about him is he's a redshirt senior, you know, like he's been doing oh, this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he, yes, he was a walk on. I didn't really mean to throw that much shade at him. I'm just saying that like, yeah, you know, he's got a lot going for him in in that regard. For me, sort of the question, I think there are two other scholarship returners, uh, Carson Ryan and Jack Pedersen, both of whom were uh, low four stars in the 2022 class. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Ryan wound up burning his red shirt, but Pedersen did not. I don't think I saw him on the field at all. Uh, Ryan played, but I don't think I think he played in only two or three games. So I believe he's considered a redshirt freshman still. Oh, I mean, I, I, I think that I mean the stat sheet has him down as playing in five games and getting. If it does, okay. Um, I. I yeah I don't really care like guys you know <laughs> hey look this is football in in 2023 either you're yeah. you're uh you know good, good enough to go to the NFL early or you're bad enough and you transfer out um mm-hmm. like who cares about redshirting although I guess on yeah. UCLA has been you know UCLA keeps a lot of career bench warmers around so maybe that's not true in, in, in the case <laughs> I was of this gonna team. say you know, UCLA is a lazy roster manager so yeah yeah uh, that, that that is a discussion we've had <laughs> so uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, Carson Ryan and Jack Peterson came in in the 2022 class. What do you think the yep. what do you, what do you think this year holds for them? Um I think that both of them have potential in terms of being uh decently complete tight ends uh carson ryan came in as more of the pass catcher type uh jack peterson is more of the blocker type so they actually complement each other pretty well and they were they based on the usage of tight ends under chip kelly up to the time when they were recruited recruited they were kind of seen as the duo like dulcich and martinez ryan would be catching Mm -hmm. and uh peterson would be kind of more of that multi-threat but at the same time peterson last year was battling injuries so we haven't really seen that much of him Mm. uh but he did play in the spring um he is the bigger target between him and ryan but he is also the less reliable pass catcher um he is more likely to get on the field as a blocker if he's going to play this year ryan is the one who's a little bit more dynamic in the open field um, so they actually, in order to get him into pass catching alignments, played him as a little bit more of an H back last year, rather than as a classic tight end when he did get on the field. So, um, they, they definitely, based on the way that they schemed for him last year, when he was on the field, they see him as somebody who can become a pass catching threat. And based on the amount of receivers that UCLA has the receiver room being a decently stacked as it is we're going to talk about um i'm not sure that ryan's going to be able to carve out that niche this year but with the amount of uh departures they're going to have after this year based on what i'm seeing with seniority levels and all that kind of stuff ryan might be one to watch for 2024 Hmm, that's interesting as as a weapon in the ucla offense when when they start to be playing at what you know 
Minnesota and Illinois and, you know, those classic UCLA rivalries, mm. you'll see a little bit more of Carson Ryan, I think. Hey, UCLA, Illinois was a game for the ages a little that while six, ago. That 6-3 game? <laughs> you know, one of the things that I, I, I thought was remarkable when I was uh, watching this game or watching this team mid-season last year was that, and I think I remarked on it earlier in this podcast, was that like Chip Kelly in an earlier phase of his UCLA career was using like up to like 14 personnel sets. It was just like tight end crazy and then in 2022 it was like nah i'm done with that it's back to 11 personnel and preby basically didn't see the field at all you know like martinez was done Ezeki, you know was barely getting catches you know habermel was barely getting catches as you say you know you know ryan you know in your opinion he had redshirted um yeah. you know but as you tell this hey they've got matavow um, you know, uh, Habermel, we both agree he's a pretty good blocker. He's, uh, you know, redshirt senior, uh, you know, uh, you, you tell a pretty good story about Ryan and Pedersen, you know, both being, uh, you know, uh, you know, they, they were 2022 recruits and four stars. So like they should be coming online, you know, is available, you know, either this year or next year, like this looks like a pretty robust tight end room. I know that you just predicted, you know, given how loaded the wide receiver room appears to be that, you know, Hey, maybe wait till 2024 to see this, but like, I don't know, you want to push the timeline up. Like, is this a possibility that we see, you know, heavier sets uh, in 2023? If, I mean, if they prove worthy of it, I would have no problem with it. It's just, I don't want, the thing with Chip Kelly is I don't want him to force it just because he falls in love with it, like you just discussed. Um, if they- Oh, he's definitely going to do it. I'm sorry. You just spoke <laughs> it into the universe. Like, that's, I mean, holy shit. That just sounds like the most Chip Kelly thing in the universe, doesn't it? Uh, but the thing, I mean, they only go four deep at tight end. So you're going to throw all of them on there at their, uh, on the field at once. I mean, I, mean, I don't know about like 14 personnel, but like what, I mean, that was what was remarkable. It was just like, I'm only seeing 11 personnel now. Mm. And like, I could see 12 out of this room. I could see 13 out of this room. You could go 12 if- Ryan is out there or Matavau is uh, one of them has to be on the field in order to use 12. You can't have like, for example, Habermel and Peterson. You just, that wouldn't make sense. Uh, yeah. Unless I, you're going goal I, line. I, I agree to, like road you. grade at that point. I don't know, but, uh, but, like, but I mean, just bring on an extra offense. I point. could definitely see 12 out of this room, like a lot more 12 than we saw last year where it was almost exclusively 11. Um, I, I know that chip wouldn't use 12 last year because if you were going to, I mean, you have to present uh, the way I see it anyway, and you you know more about this than I do, but the way I perceive 12, the, the real advantage you have is that you have the ability to show run, but credibly threaten a pass out of it. Yeah. And Ezekiel can't credibly block. So you, you don't even have to count him as a blocker yeah. at that point. And so there's no point to using 12. And so yeah, it's I mean, more likely enough. you could do it with a, if you were going to put Habermel and Madaval out there, like it's not going to scare the crap out of anyone, but you could pull it off, I think. All right, let's talk about these wide receivers. Mm -hmm. You you have mentioned a couple of times now that you th uh, think there's a pretty loaded wide receiver room. What's difficult to, which I, like I agree with from a talent standpoint, I, I think that is definitely true. What is difficult to tease out is something that we've also talked about a little bit, which is trying to figure out how much of the only throwing to two guys thing was a DTR thing versus a Chip Kelly thing because Chip Kelly survives and DTR doesn't. But first, let's talk about, you know, who's in the room and who's not uh, uh, Jake Bobo and Kaz Allen. You know, the two primary, you know, pass catchers uh, uh, have both departed. Um, I, I think they both signed uh, UDFA contracts. And then I think uh, uh, just to 
for sake of completeness, Matt Sykes uh, transferred out. I think he only got like six catches last year. He was one of the the decoys who played in every game. Um, yep. Uh, I think that's it for the departures. Yeah, that sounds right. I, I'm okay. trying to think of any that I could recall. There was no, that was the year before the guy, uh, Keontas Lewis. That was the year before. I'm yeah. sorry. So no, I think, I think those are the three returners. Cam Brown, you already mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. he was a four star who had previously transferred in from uh, Texas A&M. He got 24 catches last year. Titus Mukiao Atamalala, who uh, was a four star transferred in from UCF was used not very often, but every time he caught the ball, I was like, wow. You know, that guy's pretty good. Like in any other offense, like that guy'd be his, you know, real star. It's too bad that Chip Kelly only wants to throw the ball to two guys or GTR does. I don't know which. Um, uh, Logan Loya uh, returns. That guy was a, a four star. He's a senior, got 18 catches last year. He's a shorter guy. He's like, he's under six foot. I, you know, I, if I had to guess, I might stay, he might step into the Kaz Allen role. But then there's also Josiah Norwood, your neighbor, who's a, a redshirt senior. I think he's a former walk-on. He's like 5'8", you know, real short. That's another, I think he's pretty speedy. Um, but that's another guy where like, well, you had Kaz Allen. So, you know, you know, Norwood's not going to get any catches while Kaz Allen's on the team. Let me take a pause there. I think those are the four receivers who were on the team last year who were getting catches. I know there's a couple of more, but like, did I miss anybody who was getting catches last year? Getting catches, I don't think you missed anybody. Jaden Marshall played yeah. sparingly yeah. on special teams, but I don't think he caught a pass. Okay. So he's a redshirt freshman who was a uh, he was a four star coming out of high school, right. but he didn't. I don't believe he caught anything. I think he fumbled a <laughs> punt return, and that was the entirety of his on the ball involvement, if I remember correctly. So anyway. you mentioned him. The other one uh, who was a 2022 mid three star was Braden Pegan. Um, I don't think he played uh, at all either. He did not. No, he registered last year. And then a 2021 mid three star uh, is Xavier Staples, who I don't think I've seen him in the last two years. Well, he left the program last year oh. and then rejoined it. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So, Wait, so how'd that work? He. He left at the end of 2021, wasn't on the team in 2022, and then came back for the 2023 season. He left about halfway through fall camp if last year, if I remember, and then about halfway through the season or so, three quarters of the way through the season, kind of recommitted himself to football and the coaches uh, allowed him back on, if I remember the story correctly. Interesting. He's officially a redshirt freshman, but yeah, there's... I'm not expecting that to be a real thing this year. Xavier Staples being a huge part of this offense, but it's an interesting story, I suppose. I believe there are four additions to the unit. Uh, Two of them are true freshmen. Jeremiah McClure and Grant Gray, both of them low four stars. Correct. Uh, The two portal guys are uh, both four stars. Uh, Kyle Ford is actually close to a five star from USC and J. Michael Sturdivant from Cal. Did I get all that right? Yes, that is correct. I always kind of liked Kyle Ford, but thought he was sort of misutilized at USC. I sort of thought USC is bizarrely, you know, given that this is sort of like the premier passing offense of the Pac-12 under multiple different coaches for the last several years, like weirdly mismanaged their wide receiver room. So even though like Kyle Ford doesn't have like these killer stats, 
I think he's a pretty good wide receiver. Um, and I think he's, you know, the transfer to UCLA was a wise one. Um, I think he's going to get put, put to pretty good use at UCLA. And then I really like J. Michael Sturdivant at Cal. Like, I definitely think that transferring out of Cal is a good idea. Uh, frankly, if he had transferred to Cal Poly, it would have been a good idea. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but he transferred to UCLA, so that's a good idea, too. I'm, frankly, to be perfectly honest, I think those guys shoot to the top of the list. Like, I, I know that you like some of these other guys, uh, li like Cam Brown. Uh, I, I like Sturdivant and Ford better than I like Cam Brown. I, I think uh, those two uh, eat that guy's lunch. I do like uh, TMA better or pretty well, too. So that might be a bit of a fight. Um, what do you think about my assessment of those four individuals outside receivers? Sturdivant's the most talented uh, wide receiver to play at UCLA, probably since, gosh, maybe Jordan Payton, maybe even going further back than that. Um, yeah. Michael Sturdivant is going to be UCLA's number one receiver with a bullet this year. Like it's not even close. David Woods made this, uh, made a reference to this. If you catch 65 passes in that Cal offense from last year, that you are a superstar. And that, <laughs> you know, that's what he did. So Kyle Ford, I think is going to be not this year's Jake Bobo. Cause I think Jake Bobo is a little bit more life, but I think he's going to be the kind of designated possession guy of sorts. I think that they see him that way. I think they see yeah. him as a high end talent in that regard. That's exactly uh, how I see him. Yeah. Ball kind of a guy um, able to create space with his body and his route running one guy to watch out for who is a bit under the radar is actually Braden Pegan, who you mentioned. Um, hmm. He is probably the guy who surprised most out of anybody on UCLA's roster during spring ball. Like he looked like he was ready to compete for minutes with all these guys and he didn't play last year. So um, he is out of orange County. I think he was from San Juan Hills. I forget. I think he's from the same high school as uh, yeah, San Juan Hills. It's the same high school that Sean Ryan was from. He is somebody who came out of high school at, with you know, good physical measurables. And it was really just about kind of putting it together in terms of learning the position. And he seems to have taken to it. And he was very impressive during spring ball. I think that he's going to be somebody who works in this season, then is probably going to be a major threat for UCLA in the 2024 season, given the fact that Sturdivant is probably going to leave after one season. He's a redshirt yeah. sophomore. And if he pops at UCLA, there's no reason for him to not leave immediately. Kyle Ford only has one year. Cam Brown only has one year left. Yeah, I uh, know. I mean, that's the other thing. Left. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of this wide receiver room is just done after this year. Mm -hmm. Josiah Norwood's done after the, I think I'm counting six receivers that won't be on the five receivers that won't be on the roster next year, including four of the top five. So I think Braden Pegan, once Big Ten schedules roll around, similar to Carson Ryan, you'll probably hear a lot more about him. But this year, I think he'll work in maybe have up to 10 catches or so, but he's mm. somebody who the program is really, really high on for this season. Since I, that's the more relevant thing to discuss right now, Sturdivant's going to be the big weapon Ford. We just talked about Cam Brown is going to be there working in and he'll have his 25 catches or whatever. Titus Mokeo-Otimalala, I think is going to be the starting slot receiver over Logan Loya, actually. Really? The coach is just like Even though more. he's a taller guy? He's, he's more talented and he's a little bit more shifty than Loya. Hmm. Loya is, if you want to, Loya came in with the reputation of kind of being Kyle Phillips light and he's kind of been that, but hasn't been enough of it. I think Titus has a little bit more pop to him than Loya does. So I think he will end up taking the starting sl uh, slot uh, position by the time the season rolls around. Well, here I was going to ask you whether you thought it was going to be Loya or Norwood. And you're saying mm -hmm. it's neither of those guys. I think it's, be, I think it's be uh, Titus. Yep.
And so what do you think about uh, Marshall or Staples? Do you think those guys are, are going to keep riding the bench? You're away. Uh, Marshall okay. for sure. Year away. He's got to work on his hands. He's got to work on just his, you know, uh, his skill level as a wide receiver. But he, he's somebody who is a very toolsy receiver in and of himself. He was a, a low four star, mid four star, something like that. He came in as both a football and a track guy. I think he had elite uh, hurdle times coming to UCLA. Very good speed. That's why they wanted to try him as a punt returner last year. It's just about getting his fundamental level up. And then Staples, I think, same deal. I think he's got to. He's just got to bide his time because there's so much talent ahead of him you step away from football from a few for a few months the those guys are not going to be you're not going to pass them up so and then you mentioned that keegan jones uh is switching over from the running back room how does he figure into all this i think that he's going to be part of that fight for the slot i think it's going to be loya mm-hmm. uh titus mokia to malala tma titus whatever you want to call him i think that jones would play ahead of norwood if it was a head-to-head matchup hmm and then do you think the true freshman McClure and Gray, do you think they just red shirt? Red shirt. Yep. Yeah. That's what I figure. Okay. Offensive line. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so you want to start tackles? You want to start interior or you want to go? Well, let me just see if I can recapitulate um, who the, uh, who, who the players were last year. Um, there was, well, from left to right, I believe the starters were uh, Raekwon O'Neal, um, mm-hmm. who came in from Rutgers, uh, left guard, Antonio Maffi. Um, the starting center was Duke Clemens. Um, uh, and then he was relieved. I think he had an, an injury and, and missed a little bit. So he was relieved by Sam Marazzo. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, John Gaines was the right guard and uh, Garrett DiGiorgio uh, was the right tackle. Do I have all you're that right? It. Yeah, you're on it. All right. I believe that they lose O'Neal, the left tackle, Mafi, the left guard, Marazzo, the backup uh, center, and Gaines, the right guard. Correct. Uh, I guess while I'm doing departures, I will also note uh, they lose Tyler Manoa, who transfers out. He was a defensive lineman who converted to offensive line, but they didn't play offensive line. I think he's off to Arizona to be a defensive lineman, Correct. as God intended. Baraka Beckett uh, also transferred out, uh, who's like a low three-star who never played, I don't think. Yep. Which sounds about right for Chip Kelly. Um mm-hmm. So the returning uh, starters is only two of them: uh, Clemens, the center, and DiGiorgio, the right tackle. Um, I'm not. Im- I wouldn't imagine they would make a change at either of those positions. Nope. The, those 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 guys are locked in. All right. Um, let's let's do additions. They took one true freshman, I believe, uh, Tavaki Tuikolovatu. Mm-hmm. Um, Good for and, you, man. Nicely done. Okay. That, that, uh, that's impressive. I polynames have pretty uh, basic pronunciation principles. They, uh, they're very phonetic, for sure. It's just you, you, you got to kind of like follow them out. And then once you get used to it, it kind of just it, it gets a little more natural. But yeah. And uh, Juco Caleb Walker. Mm-hmm. And they took three portal additions. Jake Wiley from Colorado. Uh, Spencer Holstage from Purdue. And Kadera Kunta from uh, Old Dominion. Yep. All right. Before I recount the returners who who didn't play last year, because we already talked about two of the returners, Clemens and DiGiorgio, who did. Let's say that I wanted to be a real maximalist about uh, my beliefs about Chip Kelly's disinterest in in recruiting and development, particularly the offensive line, and just said he's not interested in developing or recruiting anybody the offensive line. He needs three new starters. He got three guys out of the portal. So, hey, we're done. 
uh, and yeah. it's going to be Wylage, Holstage, and Kunta. Uh, you know, uh, Kunta at left tackle, replacing O'Neal. Uh, Holstage at left guard, re- replacing uh, Mafi, and uh, Wiley at right guard, replacing uh, Gaines. Correct. You yep, think that's, that's all that, just right? That's all correct, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's correct for the obvious reasons. You know, <laughs> Unfortunately, which, yeah. Yeah, like, I, you know, when I was being tongue-in-cheek and saying that I was maximalist, like, guess what? <laughs> you know, because the maximalist case is correct. <laughs> like, No, uh, yeah, Chip, for whatever reason, out of all the positions on the... No, that's not true. When we, get to, when we talk about safeties and when we talk about the defensive oh, backfield, that's when we're going to get real maximalist. But right now... Yeah, he lost three starters and he replaced them with three guys out of the portal who are all one year guys. I, I think Kunta is a senior. Yeah. yeah. Kunta is a senior. Holstedge is a uh, super senior. And Jake Wiley is a redshirt super senior. I mean, I didn't watch any Old Dominion because who does? I, you know, I guess I don't really have much of an excuse for for watching Purdue. Oh no way! I did watch one uh, Purdue game. I watched them get slaughtered by Michigan in what is technically American football. And then I've I've been watching like Jake Wiley at Colorado for a long time. I think you can probably guess my thoughts about Colorado's mm-hmm. offensive line performance. And I think you can probably guess my thoughts about what I think about Tim Drevno as an offensive line coach. I mean, I, I know that everybody's sort of patting him on the back for sort of integrating Raekwon O'Neal. Uh, as a as a portal guy i think that raekwon o'neill was a really good you know tackle at rutgers and, and i don't know how much credit tim drevno should get for that like if he pulls this off with these transfers like uh, you know i'll give him the broils award actually oh wait no the broils award doesn't give to he's is, or wait, is he the coordinator because chip kelly they, no he didn't replace justin fry as a coordinator just yeah. as offensive line coach i don't think they have an offensive coordinator this year Oh, um, if I remember correctly, no, yeah, they, they have not had a, uh, off, they have not had an offensive coordinator for this will be the second season now. So cool. It's Chip Kelly. Yeah, and man. Justin like, Fry wasn't even really the offensive coordinator. It was a, it was a title. They yeah, no, no, I, I know that I was just so, making yeah. a, I was, I was way down oh. a rabbit hole about a joke. Yeah. It wasn't even funny, man. Like, uh, but yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I don't think this is going to work. I don't believe in Tim Drevno. I don't believe in, in offensive line transfers really even that much. Like, I don't think this is going to work. Right. Hell, I didn't even really believe in UCLA's offensive line last year, and they got two guys drafted. Like, but like, interestingly, those are the guys who were four-year players in the program, though. Like, but I mean, those were. Oh, no, but, but no, I'm agreeing with you. They, bodies, like that's the thing yeah. about the NFL is that, like, that when it comes to offensive line performance, they really more than anything else, they're recruiting bodies. They're interested in the fact that 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 Moffy moved the way that he did at 340 mm-hmm. pounds, and they figure that they can, like, well, I can teach him the technique, you know. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, but uh, that and the thing is, is that they, the, both of those guys came from a class where I think they brought in four or five offensive linemen, offensive line. And Moffy I mean, was a defensive lineman. He was, he came in as a defensive lineman in chips first class. It's correct. Um, and then they moved him to offensive line and had him slim down. I think he was at 400 pounds when he started at UCLA. Yeah, and he, he slimmed down to like yeah. 340. Um, he was playing nose tackle at first. Yep. That's right. But even like the, the, the thing with, UCLA is that they are not the thing. There's many, many things, but one of the many things is that for whatever reason, they, for a coach who sees himself in, what I'm trying to say is that it's really weird for somebody who considers himself to be a bit of a football purist, like Chip Kelly, in terms of like, I just want to coach the game. I don't want to bother with XYZ. You would think that getting like, 
recruiting offensive linemen, recruit, supposedly, you know, the smart guys, the nerds in the room, the ones oh, yeah. who see the whole field and kind of understand it. Like that would be a bit of bread and butter for him. Like these yeah. are the guys that would be kindred spirits of sort. He has n- less than no interest in recruiting those guys. And yeah, it makes no, no he's a sense. quarterback guy. Yeah. No, I mean, I can tell you from, 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 from six years at Oregon, like he had, you know, the, the dude in his corner was Steve Greatwood, you know, one of the all time great, you know, developers of offensive line talent in the history of college football. And he, and he was doing it with like, like 250 pound two stars and adding like 20 pounds and, and just like coaching those dudes up to play in a Chip Kelly offense that was like doing freaky stuff, you know, and like running them down the field. That's been sort of the weird thing about looking at the guys, you know, to the extent that Chip Kelly has been getting guys at all at UCLA, it's been totally the opposite direction. It's been getting like tubs of goo, you know, like getting Liam Douglas, like at a USC who actually, let me pause for a second. Like what's I can't find him in the practice reports. Like, is he, is he okay? What's, do you know what's going on with him? I have no idea. Uh, He, I, he might not have transferred yet. I think he might be graduating from USC and then moving to UCLA. Mm. I don't recall what it is, but I I had seen that he was injured, but like, it was like an injury that's been going on for something like six months now. And I was like, I don't know if he's in the hospital. Like, I and, and I mean, that, that's that's definitely the guy. But it's like he's taking guys who are like hurt, like like, and the other ones like Jalen Jeffers, Jalen like, Jeffers was yeah, who's been hurt for like literally his entire career, you mm-hmm. know. And it's like I'm not trying to like throw shade at you because he's a former Oregon guy, and I'm I'm not trying to like hate on a guy who left Oregon or anything. I'm I'm saying it's really sad because he never played, you no, know. It's, he wouldn't have been playable for Oregon. There's a, there. I mean, it is what it is. Like here, I'm going to read exactly what David Rhodes, David Woods wrote about him. He looks the part physically, but his feel for the position, awareness, and reaction times all need to see improvement. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what happens when you don't play football for however long. Well, yeah, exactly. Sense. It's just a really sad when you're, yeah, I mean, that's not exactly, you know, when you're not able to play football for a long time, it's like you're not able to develop those. That's what development is, you know, yeah. and it's like, and I don't understand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you put it very well, uh, and I shouldn't just repeat you, but like, yeah, you would think that Chip Kelly, student of the game, you know, master of X's and O's, would be fascinated with this sort of stuff and instead he's just like he's so blasé about offensive line stuff it just you know blows my mind so anyway like yeah when i look at it you know the returners let me recite them you know we've already mentioned two of them the guys who transferred in uh liam douglas and jalen jeffers let me just make sure that i have the rest of the list um i have a uh, a high three-star who came in in 2021 uh noah pool mm-hmm. i have a 2022 guy sam yoon I've got a 2019 guy, Siale Tawapaki, a 2020 uh, Bruno Fina, 2021 Benjamin Roy, and a 2019 Josh Carlin. Yep. Uh, and and then I see some like walk-ons, but but anyway, the uh, all the all the dudes that I listed, I think I named eight of them. In you know the 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 two transfers, Douglas and Jeffers, and the six other guys that I just listed off. I don't believe any of those guys have played. I mean, Douglas played at USC, but other than that, like none of those guys have played any football like ever. Harlan has played garbage time and I believe Benjamin Roy has as well. But I mean, that's why I say that, you know, when he got those three, you know, transfers, I was like, well, we're done, you know, Mm -hmm. like because they played football before. 
Yep. And that's apparently all you need to, (laughs) it's all you need to do in order to play offensive line for UCLA. You have to have played football somewhere else for at least one year and then you're good to go because Lord knows they're not going to recruit the offensive line position and develop the offensive line position. It's Mm -hmm. really just kind of band-aided as you go along. I do, I I need to make this caveat though. It's not going to have an impact on this year or even next year, but right now out of, I think they have, four whole commitments in their five whole commitments in their uh 2024 class um three of them are offensive linemen and they think they're getting one more fairly soon all things as many this year so yep all would all of them are high three stars but Hmm. they're all offensive tackle type six six uh high 200s weight like they i mean that's that's something man forward it is a step forward. I mean, um, other uh, other yeah. than uh, uh, Puliyalei, uh, you know, the the five five returners who weren't transfers, you know, that I, I just listed off, they're all like, you know, low to mid, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, that was sort of the remarkable thing is like, where's the talent here? So if you're telling me like he's he's scaling up and getting a tackles are fine, harder to find than guards, and B, you know, th- high three stars are harder to find than low three stars, like, okay, that. That's something. Um, yeah, of course, you know, guy. that won't pay off until like 2025 or six. Yep, so exactly. Like. So your first year of playing against the Big Ten is again, again, going to be bandaged yeah. together. But um, the yeah, ben, the fourth guy that they're probably going to bring in is uh, Benjamin Roy's uh, younger brother. Hmm. So uh, they, they have that connection there. And that means that they have to recruit with a little less effort. And Lord knows that if you give Chip that opening, he will take it. So let's look over and talk about the defense. Mm-hmm. That I mean, unlike the offense, a lot of scheme and uh, coaching turnover. Well, uh, they announced today uh, the unfortunate yes. passing of Bill McGovern. He uh, passed away due to cancer. I know that he had an earlier bout of pancreatic cancer, and I'm not sure if it, it returned or if it was a different form of cancer. It was uh, pancreatic. He passed from pancreatic cancer. That's correct. And the crazy thing is that at no point did anyone actually know that. And I get, it's probably not our right to know in a sense, but at the same time, they never really announced last year that the reason he stepped away is because he was dealing with pancreatic cancer. They just said that, oh, he'll be back in a couple of weeks and a couple of weeks became a couple of months and got to the end mm-hmm. of the season. And it was just like, hey, where's our defensive coordinator? They never... It, 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 I, I see the uh, the idea of not wanting to air that out and I respect it. But at the same time, when you have, when you leave your fans to kind of try to figure out who's running an entire side of the ball, yeah. like I, I feel like you're doing them a disservice. Like, like there, there's much better ways that that could have been communicated. And, and I understand that that's meaningless in the long run. Um, Bill McGovern has passed away. May he rest in peace and his soul be uh, remembered for eternity and uh, you know, uh, prayers and thoughts for his family at the same time. On the, I mean, talking about it from a UCLA perspective, um, yeah, UCLA's defense was in flux all of last year um, because of that, and no one even really knew why. Um, while he was away from the team, do you know who was calling the defense? It, I believe it was a hybrid effort from Ken Norton and Brian Norwood, and I, I think they're two of the coaches who ended up being retained on the, yep. Uh, so yeah. uh, Kaika Maloa was the, was the other one who was yeah. uh, retained. Yep. You know, what's, what's interesting about that is that the, um, you know, earlier, uh, before McGovern was brought in, while Azanaro was still uh, officially the defensive coordinator, they had brought Brian Norwood in from Navy, and the defensive sc- scheme changed to basically what Norwood was running when, you know, at Navy. So it was like he was the shadow. 
DC. But when McGovern stepped away, they, you know, they didn't do that. They weren't running Norwood scheme. They were, Mm -hmm. um, if anything, they were running the scheme that, you know, if anything reminded me of what Ken Norton was running because he was like a defensive coordinator for like seven years in the NFL, um, right before, you know, he, uh, he joined the staff, um, at, at uh, UCLA. The new defensive coordinator is Danton Lynn, who I don't believe has ever been a defensive coordinator before. He's just been like a safeties coach in the NFL. He was with the Ravens last year. Was he a linebacker or a safeties coach? I forget. He was a position coach. Yeah. Yeah, but like he's just been it's it's been, you know, one form of position coach or another at the NFL for, you know, he's a fairly young guy, too. I don't mean to be indelicate about this, but given the history here, I wonder if Ken Norton isn't really the defensive coordinator. We'll see. Um, I think that I think it has to be Danton Lynn um, because at the end of the day, they Danton Lynn. Now, obviously, UCLA is going to puff it up and the people around the program who talk are going to puff it up. But. They uh, the word around him was that he was a rising star in the NFL and that he was going to get his shot as a DC in the NFL in the next Mm. couple of years. So UCLA had to make a move. Now he's from a pretty well-regarded system, that defensive scheme that the Ravens have been running under. um, uh, What's his uh, doc? Was it Wink Martindale? And then uh, was it Mike McDonald? Or were those Mm. the two defensive coordinators that they've had recently? Anyway, he was under them. Um, and uh, he was considered a rising star in the profession. He's the son of former uh, uh, Chargers, uh, L.A. Chargers. I was going to say San Diego Chargers, but L.A. Chargers uh, head coach uh, Anthony Lynn, uh, the guy who's the coach when Justin Herbert was drafted there. And um, he is somebody who has kind of been around the NFL game forever. So for him to dip his toe into college when he seemed to be on the up on the NFL level, it it strikes me as something where he, if he wasn't going to get the chance to have the full reins, then I don't think he would have done it. And I don't think he's, if he's anything remotely decent, I don't think he's long for the college game either. But it, to me, the best case scenario is that he's at UCLA for one year. Cause that means that he's a freaking magician. So are you expecting a scheme change? I am expecting Well, scheme, not in terms of personnel alignment. It's it sounds like he runs a lot more of the, or, or a lot of that same four three four two five base that uh, mm-hmm. you saw from McGovern last year. It's really about how he's going to deploy personnel and. F- Everybody in spring football from here till kingdom come is going to talk about, oh, they look more aggressive. They look like they're yeah, going to yeah, get after yeah. it. You blah, hear blah, blah. That yeah. every year. Yeah, 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 exactly. Until they put on the pads and there's an opponent on the field with any credibility, you're not going to know it. And so the talk right now is that, oh, they think that they're going to have an advantage on the edge because they have four credible pass rushers and all that. I'll believe it when I see it. But like as we are talking about um, personnel, uh, are, are we going to need to like reclassify people or be like, Oh no, they need like five guys there or whatever. Like I, I, I or, or do these guys just sort of like map onto their new scheme, you know, cleanly. And we can just talk about them the way that we talked about them last year. I think we can talk about them the way that we did last year. Okay. Um, I, you're going to have, you're going to have in the base nickel, you're going to have two, my, uh, not two mics. You're going to have a Sam and a mic, but I mean, or a will and a mic, excuse me, but I mean, they're going to essentially be two inside linebackers. And then if they go four, three, you bring on a Sam as well. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty standard at that point. Yeah. So I think the way that we talked about him last year is fine. Just wrapping up the coaching changes. It looks like last year they split up the ends and the tackles between Nakaka Malloy, who had previously come in from Washington and Chad Kawahaha, um, who had been at USC and a couple other places. It looks like, uh, Kawahaha is now gone and uh, Malloy's taken over uh, 
you know, the whole line and the outside linebackers, although I didn't know that they had outside linebackers. So it's defensive ends. I mean, I don't know why they need to go into these yeah. semantics. Does it get him paid a little bit more? Cool yeah, it whatever. beats me. But yeah. And then and then Norwood um, had, was previously described as just the defensive backs coach. But now there is a he's the safeties coach and they brought in Cody Whitfield to be the cornerbacks coach. Mm-hmm. And then last year they had a special teams coach, Derek Sage, but I don't see him listed, I guess. Uh, I, I don't believe Sage was on the ro- oh, I, was. I don't think he was. Or was he just like. A, uh, OK, he, so it's, he had left it's, the previous year. Jeff Ferris was the tight ends coach last oh, year as well. Yeah. Sage was the tight ends coach and the special teams coordinator. When they brought in Ferris, they just dropped the special teams coordinator position I entirely. See. And it's a collective effort now. Ooh, and it's go, it's gone so well. So Sage wasn't so Sage wasn't on the, with the program last year. Sage was not with the program last oh, year. Oh, my notes are incorrect. Let's talk about the uh, personnel. Let's do it. Defensive tackles, they are, well, losing, I think, one guy of significance, Jacob Sykes. They also lose uh, Martin Andrews, who I think was a Jim Mora recruit of all things. Yep. Although I didn't actually see him much. I think he might have had an injury. He had multiple long-term injuries. I think he had ACLs. He might have had an Achilles. There was a hip issue. That's why he was around for so long. And then uh, Hayden Harris transferred out. I don't think I saw him last year. Correct. No, Hayden Harris worked in a little bit. I know he transferred out. I believe it was this offseason. Also, just for context on uh, Martin Andrews, he came in in the same class as Jalen Phillips. Yeah. Yeah, that's how how far back that goes. I think that's it for... Departures from the defensive tackle unit. I think that's um, right. Yeah. Okay. They, but they returned, you know, basically everybody, you know, mm-hmm. uh, other than Sykes, everybody who contributed, uh, Jay Toya, Gary Smith, uh, Dovid Magna, Sidavene Havili Kafusi, who's more of a bad, like he played in a bunch of games, but you know, more of a backup, uh, mm-hmm. Devin Arpui came in from Notre Dame, although he didn't uh, play that much. And then I did have one question, which was uh, about Quentin Somerville, who's like, you know, the only four star, I think that Chip Kelly has recruited at all in the defensive line room. But like, I don't think I've seen him at all. Like, is there an injury there or uh, is something going on with him? Hasn't gained the weight and also been injured. He, okay. like, he didn't play the entire spring. And then last fall, I believe he had injuries as well. Last spring, he was buried on the death chart a little bit because he just size wise wasn't holding up. So uh, he, it just uh, it hasn't happened for him from physical development point of view from either perspective quite yet. Yeah. It's just that, like, I mean, literally everybody on the roster except for Toya is, you know, lower talent than him, mm-hmm. I- including at least one guy, I think Magna, who's a walk on and like. You know, he's just getting passed by. I'm sort of like, I think a more aggressive roster manager probably would have uh, encouraged him to hit the portal. Um, And it's, you know, one of the many pieces of evidence that, you know, Chip Kelly's not an aggressive portal manager. Mm hmm. New uh, additions to the room. I think there are two freshmen, uh, Grant Bucky and AJ Fuimaono. Mm hmm. I think that both of those guys are probably going to redshirt. Neither of them look like they're um, ready to play right away. Correct. They got one uh, portal edition, Keanu Williams from Oregon, who I think is actually pretty good. Like I've been charting that guy for a while. I know his stats don't look like it, um, but sort of like the structure of Oregon's defense when he was playing a a guy in his position doesn't generate a ton of stats, but he charted out pretty well for me. I actually would not be surprised if Keanu Williams sort of jumped up the the depth chart. Um, Have you been getting practice reports about him at all? They, they there's a pretty firmly ensconced top three and he's in it. It's going to be a rotation between Toya Smith and Williams. 
Okay. That's actually exactly what I would have predicted. So uh, yeah. uh, I'm glad to hear that from both an analyst perspective and an Oregon fan perspective. I don't really have any questions there. I, um, you know, that, that sort of, that, that was basically, you know, what I was expecting. Uh, you know, I think there's, you know, the depth is adequate there, you know, with, with guys who are at least playable, you know, I didn't really think that, you know, Magna or uh, Havili Kavusi or Apui um, were like, knock my socks off as backups. Like I definitely thought that there was a real drop off in performance when the backups, you know, came in for Toya and Smith and Sykes last year. And frankly, you know, uh, other than Toya, who is like, I mean, just a mountain of a man, you you know, I, I honestly wasn't really, you know, thrilled with this with this unit, but like, you know, whatever, you know, they're they're space eaters, uh, you know, I'm not really required to be thrilled with this unit. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, no, that's exactly right. That, I think that's the way that they're envisioned in this defense is that they're supposed to be occupying linemen. And then that's supposed to allow the guys we're going to talk about in a second, yeah. your guys like your Murphy's and your lot to uh, to get up the field a little bit more. Okay. Is there anybody that I've missed? Like any? No, 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 we okay. nailed it. All right, let's talk about the ends then. Uh, I don't think they lose anybody. I'm nobody who is uh, uh, Bo Calvert, I think, is the only one. Oh, unless you're playing as a linebacker. And yeah, I thought he was a linebacker. Uh, he, play, he played more. He sort of played here. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I, I'm going to talk about him as a linebacker. Oh, actually, yeah, I'm not cool. going to talk about him at all. He's gone. Who cares? Yeah, so, exactly. And he was a Calvert, and that entire family sucks at football. Um, so, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not joking about that. I've been talking about with Utah a lot uh, and uh, Washington. Um, yeah, they've popped so, up quite a bit, actually. Yeah. yeah, it's a good thing I read under a pseudonym. <laughs> so, anyway, the ends. I think there's one addition, Jake Heimlicker, who came in from the FCS ranks. From Penn. Yep. Cool. Um, the I don't, Ivy League. I, I don't really think it was a Stanford man. Like they also got a uh, a pen transfer to, for their uh, for their offensive line. I, I don't think that's necessary. You know, they returned to all the guys who produced. I think the guys who produced produced fairly well. You know, the Murphy twins, Liatu, Latu, Carl Jones, Latu in particular, graded out really well for me. You know, ton of havoc plays. I don't really have any questions here. Uh, uh, is there anything I should know about this unit that the general public might not know? Look at the depth chart. Uh, the, oh, the, uh, the fact they're all gone at the end of every this year? single one is an upperclassman, and five of the six uh, who are in the three deep are seniors. Yeah, no, it's I mean, it's bonkers that they, you know, well, but look, man, like three of the guys, you know, were all transfers. So, you know, what Chip Kelly is, oh, sure. you know, he doesn't care about this. He's just going to try to, you know, do the same thing that he did. And like, look, it, it basically worked out. So he didn't learn his le lesson, you know, like he, he didn't get bonked on the head by the universe. Um, and, you know, no, no one told him you can't do this every single year. Uh, and so he's going to just try to do it again. Because, I mean, the, the guys like Laiatu Latu who quit football for, because of injuries and then come back yeah. and turn into stars. I mean, yeah, those are a dime like a dozen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he, he absolutely lucked out. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, you said it. He quit football due to an injury, came back and became an absolute, you know, havoc monster at UCLA. And so Chip Kelly is going to learn totally the wrong lesson from that. You know, like, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, just, UCLA literally does not have a defensive end who has played that will be on its roster beyond this season yeah i know <laughs> and they don't have any underclassmen anywhere near the like they don't have any underclassmen that are on scholarship yeah they took no freshmen you know they, they took no freshmen this year they took no freshmen last year they I don't I think they, the took any chart, they, they don't have any on scholarship like to yeah. me it's just 
Yeah, I don't. I don't believe they took. If they, I know they didn't take any this year. I'm pretty sure they didn't take any last year. I don't yeah. think they. You know, frankly, I don't think they've taken anybody who could be described as a defensive end in the last three recruiting cycles. Or if they did, that guy's transferred out previously, and they haven't done anything to replace them except for take Latu and the Murphy twins. And they were rolling the dice on all three of them, Latu because of the injury and the Murphy twins because they were like, you know, G5 transfers. Mm. And if you missed on one of them, you were going to miss on both of them because they're twins. I d- yeah, they, they have the same game. Yep. Uh, it's uh, I, I Devin. So it's like he's just I like think... he was so fucking lucky, you know. <laughs> and he's not going to have learned his lesson at all. He's going to try to do yeah. exactly this again, and yeah. I don't know how he's gotten away with it for this long. Like it is a high wire act for sure, but um, uh, Ikaika Maloa is going to have a job on his hands next off season in the portal yeah, i'll leave it at that oh yeah because the portal always has tons of edge rushers those guys yeah. are real easy pickups the nfl is <laughs> constantly turning away elite edge rushers because they're a dime a dozen yeah mm-hmm. and I, all right I, I am glad i've found someone who can match my snark level when it comes to this roster management because it is if i could say that i mean inexplicable isn't enough when you talk about the, the thing that causes the other team to have trouble in getting its plays off and actually yeah. causing the uh, other, you know, the opposing quarterback yeah, problems exactly. and discomfort and all that. Yeah. Let's not do any of that. And yeah. No, I mean, the, the NFL anyway, assigns, I mean, the NFL looks deep into your soul and then assigns you a dollar value, uh, you know, and, and it's, ba- you know, who do they, you know, it's the, it, it, it's the passing offense and the people who destroy the passing offense. So mm-hmm. your quarterback, your left tackle, your wide receiver, your cornerback and your defensive ends, you know, yep the people responsible for your passing offense and the people responsible for destroying your passing offense and everybody else they don't care about. They don't care about linebackers or running backs or uh, guards or uh, the, the rest of the positions that I've forgotten. Yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, let's talk about the linebackers. Um, so uh, Bo Calvert, uh, whether he was a linebacker or defensive end, I don't care. He's gone. Um, uh, they also lose uh, a couple of the guys. I'll just run through to, just to, for the sake of completeness. Um, uh, Shea Pitts, uh, who's like a, a walk on that I, I think like uh, a Terry Donahue recruited. Uh, he was on the team forever. Um, uh, Adam Cohen, um, uh, who's a walk on who got yep. a couple of reps. Uh, Might have still been practicing with the team, but is. I've been getting FCS offers. He keeps showing up in my transom. Uh, uh, Jake Newman uh, transferred out. Uh, A guy named Jeremiah Trojan, for some reason, decided to go to UCLA, but he's transferred out. Uh, I I think that's it for the departures. Did I miss anybody? Uh, Not that I can think of. Um, Trojan was a very interesting case. If I remember correctly, he was in either Chip's first or second class, and they were convinced that even though he was undersized and didn't really have great high school stats, that he had the instincts to be a Mike and a leader of the defense. And then he just never played. Mm-hmm. Right. So. That sounds about right for Chip Kelly. Um, that was a, that was a Don Pelham special right there. O- Oregon over the years has had a player named Washington, a player named Stanford and a player named Beaver. So I guess I shouldn't like make too much. <laughs> I remember Stanford. I don't remember Washington or Beaver. 
Uh, uh, Washington was a, a defensive uh, a lineman who's pretty good, actually. The returners, Muasau, who had previously transferred in from Hawaii. G5 transfers were all the rage for Chip Kelly on the defense. Jonathan Vons, he goes by a different first name, but I won't say it. Uh, I remember you were very opposed to calling him John John last year. I guess it's continued. Those two, I think I would describe as the starters, Musau and Vons. It is... It's kind of hard to describe because they had like six dudes seriously rotating, arguably seven. Yeah, it, I, I was going to say there's two more that if you mention them, I would say that's the uh, inside linebacker rotation. Uh, two of them will play the will. I think it'll be uh, John John Vons and one more you're going to mention. And then it'll be uh, Muasau and a guy that we already have mentioned. Okay. I think those will be the well, four let me, primary let ones. Me finish up the, let me finish up the returners from 2022, sure. and then we'll talk about the new guys um, or what the 2023 lineup we think will be. So Musau and Vons, I'll just leave it at, they had the most tackles last mm-hmm. year. Kane Madrano and uh, Shea Bryant Struther had the yep. next most tackles. Carson Schwesinger and Jalen Woods, actually Jalen Woods, like, barely played. I don't know why I'm mentioning him. Ali Kaho, who was a four-star who came in from Alabama, didn't play at all. Uh, let me pause and ask, why was that? There was a foot or a leg injury of some sort, okay. but uh, yeah, he, he, yeah, he missed the entire season. But he's back. Do you know if he's back to full health? He is... He was working out during the spring, but he uh, it was conditioning type of stuff. He wasn't okay. it, he wasn't on the field yet, but he they expect him to be ready for the fall. All right. Keep our eye on that one. And then Hayden Nelson, who is like a mid three star from the 2021 class. I also didn't see that guy, but um, I, I don't know if that was an injury or just like there were a lot of dudes in this room and he was the odd man out. I don't believe he's on the roster anymore. Oh, really? Uh, I wouldn't know since UCLA doesn't post their roster. <laughs> I will um, see if, okay, I'll, I'll follow up on that and see if I can find any confirmation on that one. Um, thank you for telling me. Oh, of course. The additions to the room, I believe they took three true freshmen, uh, Trey Edwards, uh, Solomon Malafu, um, who I think are high three stars, and uh, Donovan Pellet, uh, who I think is a uh, mid three star. Mm-hmm. They took one portal addition, Femiola Dejo, who was Cal's starting inside linebacker last year. Oladejo is kind of interesting because Cal was going through quite a bit of perturbations over the last couple of years trying to replace a string of starters uh, like Evan Weeder and Jordan Kanashik, um, and they were really having a hard time. They finally settled on Oladejo, which was a prediction that I made going into the 2022 season that people didn't believe me on, but I called it. I think that Oladejo probably jumps up and take somebody's job away probably Musau because i didn't think that Musau was very good what do you think about that prediction no Musau was uh, he was a player who i had higher expectations for given that his uh, he was pedigree. like dominant hawaii yeah he was ext- he was um uh all uh god mountain west excuse me i forgot <laughs> the name of the conference the conference cal will be playing in someday all mountain west for i think both of his seasons and then um, he redshirted and then played two years. I think he was all Mountain West both years. And then he transferred to UCLA last year as a redshirt uh, senior. Or, or I, I think he was either a true senior or a redshirt junior, one of the two. Either way, he had two years to play at UCLA. This is his second. And he was yeah, really not that he was not as impressive as I expected him to be on the field. Um, he came he played well in the spring. He was decent in fall camp, but 
for whatever reason, he was a, he was just a half step to a step slow when it came to playing at the Pac-12. I don't know whether it was adjusting. I don't know whether it's just it, the game is a little bit too fast for his foot speed at this level. But because he, he could, was a two-star and he was playing in a G5 division. Yeah, but I mean, you. I like to think in. I believe there is some merit to the idea that cream does rise to the top amongst its relative peers. So if Musao or Gabriel Murphy or Grayson Murphy, for example, like when we were talking about the defensive ends, if they were that good, but if you're that good amongst your peers, it indicates that you should have some sort of ability for it to transfer at a higher level, not to be the best of the best, but to be playable at the very least. And there were games where Musau was good, but there were games where he was a liability. Uh, yeah, I certainly agree. With that. Um, so do you do you think that it is going to be Oladejo and Vons? I think it'll end up being actually Oladejo and one of Vaughn's or Cajo. Uh, if Cajo is healthy, he is by far the most athletic linebacker on this roster, okay. and he does have those instincts. It's just health has been his problem. Uh, yeah, I, I, so, I sort of disregarded him because uh, yep. he didn't play, but I wasn't aware of the injury. Okay, that's interesting. Yep. Um, what did you think about Madrano and Bryant Struther last year? Brian Struther is somebody who I believe is coming around. They have jerked around his position for reasons I can't begin to figure out. Yeah. He looked good as a Mike or a Will at the high school level playing in Georgia, which is a good, which is a high level of high school football. They brought him in that he was in uh, the um, 24 seven rankings as a linebacker, as an inside linebacker. And then when he got to UCLA, they started playing him as a hand in the ground defensive end, which I will never begin to yep. understand. Then they moved him to Sam and then mm -hmm. they finally worked him back to will, which is what he was playing in high school. And lo and behold, uh, and what his this... body type is supposed yes, to be, you know, like absolutely. look at his body type. That's guy's yep. supposed to be an inside linebacker. And he looked better last year and apparently has taken a step up during the spring as well. So, I mean, and just think what they could, he could be doing if they had developed him as an inside linebacker instead of wasting all the last three years. They galaxy brain so much of this shit. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> on that happy note. Yeah. I think Brian Struther will be heavily in the rotation. I think that I think that the four guys you're going to see heavily in the rotation or five guys you'll see heavily rotating will be Muasau, Brian Struther, Oladejo, um, uh, a uh, Caho and Vaughn's Caho and Vaughn's didn't play in the spring. Uh, Caho because he's uh, rehabbing and Vaughn's sure. because he plays baseball. Um, and, but I think that Madrano is going to fall out of the rotation based on what we saw in the spring, or he's going to be a guy who has a bit of a specialist role. He played wide receiver when he came to UCLA. They like the idea of him with a thicker body moving in space, playing linebacker, but it hasn't really translated that well. Cause I'm not sure that he has, or will have the instincts to play linebacker. Um, they might use him as some sort of as like a coverage piece and situational type of, you know, situations for lack of a better way to put it or mm. put myself into that grammatical corner there or that <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that the guy that you will see a little bit more of uh, than his um, than his red shirt would indicate similar to Braden Pegan on the offensive side of the ball. I think the equivalent on the defensive side of the ball is Jalen Woods, um, a guy out of St. John Bosco who. Uh, I know Greg Biggins thought very highly of him coming out of high school, thought that he needed to bulk up, but had the instincts to play linebacker. And apparently he's gained some good weight and he looked good in the spring. I think it, it like, it, like 
I think that he is somebody who is going to work in more and more as the season goes on. I think by the time we get to 2024, I think he's going to be very firmly ensconced in the two deep and if not a starter. Yeah, man. I mean, this is what's a little difficult to parse about because of the UCLA of it all, um, which is that like if I'm not saying you're a liar, but it would be on a different team with a more aggressive roster manager. I would be in a better position to either say I believe you or I don't believe you on the basis of guys leaving or not leaving the program. If dudes, if more dudes who had more playing time ahead of him were leaving the program, then I would say I believe you because he's taken their playing time away. Um, on the other hand, looking at the list, uh, you know, that exists, uh, you know, in the actual reality where there's like five dudes who had way more playing time. Um, plus they took a transfer in Oladejo. Plus they have uh Caho who's apparently coming online uh, after an injury. So there's like going to be seven dudes, you know, ahead of him, uh, none of whom sort of transferred out. If there were more in uh, one of whom is a walk on uh, Schwesinger, right? He was walk on, right? Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, so, but like, if this were an hold on, let me finish my. Uh, yeah. If this were an aggressive roster management team, I'd be like seven dudes ahead of him, one of whom is a is a walk on. Like, no way, man, he's not pushing anybody out of the way. I don't believe you. You're a liar, Michael. Why are you lying to me? Um, but this is not a aggressive roster management team. It, you could a hundred percent be correct that he is eating people's lunches left and right and shooting up the depth chart. But then those guys don't transfer out because this is chip Kelly's program and he keeps bench warmers around. Do you know what I'm saying? No, no, I definitely get what you're saying. Um, this is a team where you kind of age. Well, to the extent that you anybody on this roster ages into anything, the ones who the few who are recruited out of high school anyway. But seniority does play at UCLA, um, it, and you kind of have to because if it's not seniority, then it's you have to you have to have elite talent, that young elite talent. And UCLA doesn't do that with the exception of one shocker with uh, Dante Moore <laughs> this offseason. Yeah, right. But but um, yeah, I think. One, with UCLA's linebacker depth, you have a lot of guys who are prone to injury. Bryant Struther has missed time with injury. Mm-hmm. Madrano has missed plenty of time with injury. Um, Cajo, obviously, last season, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he was rehabbing, who, and he's been injured for probably half of his college career, if not more. John John Vaughn has had niggling injuries in the past that have kept him off the field for a game or two at a time. So for somebody like Jalen Woods, I think you're going to find four or five games where he ends up having to play in the two deep because of just nagging injury issues. And I think that's where it's going to come from more than him shoving people off the field because he's just so impressive. Like he seems like a good prospect based on all the talk out of the program. Ken Norton really likes him. I do know that. But at the same time, I think that it's going to be a matter of circumstance rather than anything else that's going to end up seeing him on the field, but it's going to do him some good. It's going to do him the world of good to have that experience. Well, I guess, you know, here's what I want to last thing that I'll say before we move off of this unit is, is that it's weird about it is that like, 
for all my complaints about the roster management of the inside linebacker unit, which like I have a lot of them and I think UCLA fans should too. You know, I feel like a lot of UCLA fans have for a long time when like UCLA would take like 12 linebackers in the class, you know, like they're, they're these really like herky jerky recruitment where they they'd recruit no linebackers and then they'd recruit a dozen of them and then they go mm-hmm. back to none again. And it's like, that's not, you know, the smooth, you know, way that you're supposed to manager you know class balances dude um but like my complaints about the inside linebacker room are not about the performance or the depth of the inside linebacker room i think the performance and the depth of the inside linebacker room will probably be okay like i I liked Oladejo just fine at Cal. I think if he replaces Musao uh, next to Vons or a guy who's as good, you know, like if if Kaho really does come online, then great. You know, if uh, if Bryant Struther is the dude he's supposed to be, then great. If Woods is the guy that you're saying that he's supposed to be, then great. You know, like they've got options, right? You know, in fact, they have way more options than really they're entitled to have. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, and and and, and Oladejo is a known quantity. And because they played like seven dudes last year, they have a bunch of, you know, known quantities. Like none of those things is the problem. The problem is that, that, you know, they had too many dudes and not enough of them left. And these guys are eating up scholarships um, that should have been used on bulking up, you know, a bunch of other positions that, you know, that that, that we have already talked about or that we are about to talk about where, oh, my God, there are depth problems. Like there are serious depth problems. and, And instead they're burning them on linebacker where you you know guys you need like maybe six guys on scholarship here Mm -hmm. and you you know instead i think they've got you know like 12 uh like it's bonkers um they have more linebackers on scholarship than they do offensive linemen which makes again no sense yeah okay (laughs) so So this is just in the spirit you know it's summer we're we're talking about rosters and roster management and like and so i just didn't want anybody to get the impression that i think that that ucla's ilb unit is going to stink i actually don't it's just that like it points up the insanity of chip kelly's roster management and that it spills out to other units Mm -hmm. no no, what they've done with uh, with roster management it really has come down to they take players who are willing to come that they don't really have to put as much effort into for the most part and wherever they come in they come in and then beyond that they band-aid over the rest of the roster Mm -hmm. the, the roster management philosophy is where can we or how can we get by without having to be as aggressive as everybody else in recruiting oh man you you put that really well all right defensive backs the position with no players whatsoever. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's what I was alluding to. <laughs> this position could have used some scholarships. Let's see. Uh, let's talk about uh, departures first. I believe. Uh, well, first of all, let me clarify who uh, I think were cornerbacks and who I think were defense uh, safeties. Um, I believe Azizi Hearn was a cornerback and he has departed. Yes. I believe that Mo Osling this year uh, was a safety uh, and he has departed, although previously he, he had played cornerback. Yeah, he, he was he was a swing defensive back. Yeah, but he yeah. played safety last year. He was a starting safety last year, as well as Stephen Blaylock uh, mm-hmm. or Stefan Blaylock. Stefan Blaylock. Yeah. Uh, who's always been a safety and he has also departed. I think yes. those are the three. Um, well, I think only departures, but definitely major departures. Mm hmm. Because yep, I, I think right. all three of those dudes were starters, right? Yep. 
Uh, Hearn started in the slot as a as a slot corner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Outside corners. Uh, I believe they return. Well, it's actually kind of difficult to tell. They return two guys. I think I would describe as starting outside corners: John Humphrey and Jalen Davies. Devin Kirkwood as well. But he only played nine games. Did he get hurt? I don't recall. I, I, if he only played nine games, that's the re- that that would be the reason why. Because he came into last year as kind of their number one corner, and that didn't they didn't deviate from that last year. So it, it, I'm trying to remember last season. I blocked out a couple of games in my head because yeah. they're just. But yeah, if that if Devin Kirkwood only played nine games, that's the reason why he wouldn't have been benched or anything like that. It's just it's it's you know th- that was the hard thing for me too is you know when i when i'm going through my charts like i i was seeing you know those three guys and i was like why am i seeing you know that's an unusual cornerback rotation to see three guys in equal amounts like mm-hmm. and and i knew that one of them got hurt but even but like one of them got get hurt and the other two don't but then for them to have an equal amount like it is all very weird that's why i'm like asking you like who's supposed to be the starter here Kirkwood will be the number one guy, and then it's uh, between Humphrey and Davies to be uh, who are going to be in competition for the other um, outside corner role. They'll the it'll be a rotation of those three, though. They only have two backups anyway, so it ha- kind of has to be those three. Well, <laughs> so. yeah, exactly. Like they definitely could have used an infusion here, and I mm-hmm. don't think they got it. Like I, there's only, I believe, two other returners that I would classify as cornerbacks. And this is difficult because you know they, we don't get any official guidance on this, so I need to ask you. I believe the two returners who are cornerbacks are Isaiah Newcomb, um, who played a little bit uh, last. Well, he played in like ten games, but like I think mostly on special teams. Um, and, uh, Croy Stewart, um, yep. who was a red shirt freshman last year and didn't play. I think those, those are the two. guys are cornerbacks. Yep. I believe they took one freshman who I would think is a cornerback, Ethan O'Connor. O'Connor did not make it onto the roster. Uh, he did oh. not get admitted to UCLA academically. He's at Wazoo now. I see that is news to me. Thank you for telling me that. Yep. Let me confirm where he is. I think it's Wazoo. But uh, but anyway, uh, we we can go on regardless. Yeah, that's fine. I I can look that one. Yes, up. yeah, yeah. He's at Wazoo. That's correct. Interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah, thin room, man. That could definitely have used. So, and nobody else you think is a cornerback? Um, outside, no. Um, there's there are two guys who I think are going to be in competition for the nickel spot, and then they kind of yeah. have a swing guy. And we can talk about those names in a second. But for outside corners, no, those are the five. Well, do you think there's somebody who could swing into the outside corner spot? I, I think Ty Lee is too big to do it. He's he's like yeah, I agree. 6'3", 220, but they project him as a nickel corner or a swing safety. Um, there's yeah. no way he can go outside. So no, it has to be those five. Yeah. So man, I, I, I count five of them. One of whom didn't play last year. One of whom barely played. Um, so it's really, you know, just three guys who have experience, one of whom got hurt, who, who was mm-hmm. Devin Kirkwood and they didn't take anybody through the portal, which is like Chip Kelly didn't take somebody through the portal. What? Um, uh, uh, I mean, even Davies was the guy they took from the portal for, you know, from Oregon, uh, the previous season, mm-hmm. um, you know, this was somebody where they could, uh, you know, cleared out some linebackers and used the cap space to take a portal guy. You know, this is what I was talking about. Um, I, I, like, I, I really feel like, you know, they, they could have used some backups here in case somebody gets hurt again and, and they're not going to have that option. Are you telling it, me they it, shouldn't have taken Colin Schley as a fourth string quarterback? I don't know, man. I, I sort of think the quarterback's a good investment. Like, I, I think they should have cleared out linebackers and taken, uh, uh, um, you know, say, uh, uh, some cornerbacks here. Like, well, either way, what do you think about Humphreys, Davies and Kirkwood? Kirkwood has the highest upside 
but he yeah. was prone to getting and none of these guys is what I would call in all pack 12 performer or even going to threaten for it. And that's the best of what they got. So it, the thing about Kirkwood is that Kirkwood has plenty of talent. Um, he is somebody who is very fiery, but he will, he will eat. Um, uh, if you're going to do a false step and then uh, what's that? Uh, God damn. Uh, uh, stop and go. Like a, if you run a sluggo against him, he will bite on it every time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of these guys who is, he needs to figure out the position because he has the tools. They're all toolsy guys. John Humphrey is a very toolsy guy. Jalen Davies less. So he needs to get by a little bit more on instinct, but I just, don't love his instincts either. So, yep. I mean, you can go down the list. Isaiah Newcomb hasn't shown it on the field, but he is somebody who has length Davies, and speed. The thing about Davies is he's always lunging for the ball, which, like, will pay off with an occasional pick. Um, in fact, I think he led the team in interceptions. I think um, that sounds right. Yeah, he had a pick six towards the end of the season, if I remember correctly, or something but, like that. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but, like, when he misses, he's yeah. out of position, and which is a lot. You know, and and that you know lets guys turn flat routes, you know, a little five yard flat route into uh, you know fifteen yards. Mm. I mean, no, there is there is a dearth of proven or complete talent amongst the available options at the cornerback position for UCLA. They have guys who have athleticism, who have fluidity, who have length, but none of whom Kirkwood probably has come closest to it. But none of whom who have really put it together to become a shutdown guy or even close to it. Let's talk about the nickel the or the, you know, you've called him slot corner a couple of mm. times. Yeah. Nickel. So yeah. yeah. I to, to replace uh, Hearn. My guess would be Alex Johnson. Yeah. The former walk on safety. Yeah. And playing at uh, nickel corner for the entirety of spring ball. Yep. And then you mentioned Ty Lee, um, who's a freshman coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, Tylee was uh, he was at that position during spring practice, um, or sorry, no, no, they're projecting him at that position. He, he's not at UCLA yet. Okay. Um, and DJ Justice, the um, the son of hmm. David Justice, the former uh, Atlanta Braves player, baseball uh, player. Yeah, huh. interesting. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, DJ Justice. I don't think uh, I saw DJ Justice play. I mean, he's a returner. But yeah. I don't think I saw him play last year, so I don't. He didn't really play. Um, he, he, yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he didn't get any playing time. Uh, he was somebody who came in as a receiver. He was buried on the receiver depth chart during the fall last year. During the season, he moved to corner, hmm. and he's uh, stuck with corner ever since. It's just easier for him to get on the field that way. What do you think about Alex Johnson? Alex Johnson, I will, until he shows otherwise, I will have the ASU game from last year burned into my retina of him just getting beat over and over by, was it, was it, or was it the year before? It was the year before when Ricky Pearsall just destroyed him the entire game. Yeah. So uh, until Alex Johnson becomes a shutdown nickel corner, I'm just going to think of him as the guy that Ricky Pearsall just destroyed. So I don't know. Um, It's probably not fair to him. Um, It, We'll see. I, I put if you are in Los Angeles, you don't have a single excuse, in my opinion, to have a cornerback depth chart to where you have yeah. you can't fill out a three deep and your starter at nickel corner, the corner position that needs the most lateral athleticism and just kind of 
twitchiness is a walk on. It makes yeah. it will never make any goddamn a sense. A redshirt senior walk on. Like that's the other yeah. thing is like a lot of this unit or, or room is getting kind of old in the tooth. You yeah. know, like I mean, Osling and Blaylock were redshirt seniors, and like the top three returners, you know, Churchwell, Johnson, and Nimmo are all redshirt seniors this year, and you're gonna lose them at the end, of, you know, this time. Um, and the portal guy that they brought in, uh, you're gonna lose him, you know, Jordan Anderson uh from Bowling Green, gonna lose him too. You know, that's a yeah, one year rental. Yep, he's a yep, grad transfer one year guy. Um, um, no, but it, it will never make any sense to me that you can't find some dude in L.A., some three star kid who's a, a kind of twitchy guy at five ten, and tell him to go play slot corner. Like yeah. it will never make any goddamn sense to me, and it's just it drives me crazy. Okay, I, I believe you about the uh, the slot corner. Let's talk yep. about the uh, the the guys replacing Osling and Blaylock. Um, I thought. There was a time where I thought that Osling was the best cornerback that uh, UCLA had, and I thought it was interesting they converted him to safety. He then turned out to be UCLA's best tackler. Mm -hmm. Blaylock has been, well, kind of hot and cold for me, but like he turned into a pretty good tackler in his, you know, final year. I actually thought both of these guys turned to be something of a saving grace for UCLA's offense in the following sense. When I uh, charted out UCLA's games, which I I charted every single one of their games. One, there was actually one pretty good defensive stat for them. It wasn't rushing um, uh, defensive efficiency um, that they were bad at, like, you know, per, by which I mean uh, uh, preventing the offense from having efficiency runs. You know, mm -hmm. y if you needed, you know, uh, uh, four yards, you know, th this offense would let you have four yards. Um, but they did have one good stat, which was preventing explosive runs. Um, they, uh, uh, they only, they only allowed offenses to pick up 10 plus yard runs on about, uh, 13 and a half percent of their, uh, designed runs. So, you know, excluding quarterback scrambles, um, which is a pretty decent stat and actually i mean it's not an elite stat but it's way better than the rest of their statistics would have predicted and usually what containing explosive rushing comes down to is very good safety play and i think just subjectively you know i think that line can be drawn to osling and blaylock i think they did a pretty good job at containing explosive rushing plays and i think they ought to be congratulated for it in fact i think that's one of the reasons why osling you know wound up with the uh with the seahawks is that he you know he turned out to be a very very good reliable tack but oh, let me pause there everything i just said made sense to you yeah Michael? for sure no no they i am maybe maybe i'm just harsher i I think definitely you, you, the Jimmys and Joes have something I have a lot to do with what happens on the field. But I think that the defense, like just in general, it was one of the things we talked about last year. By design, they were an extreme version of Ben, but don't break. They knew that they had one of the things I will give them credit for is that they knew that they had talent deficiencies, which are their fault. Obviously, it's college football. Mm. So you choose the roster. It's not something that's handed to you by some GM, but um, or high school by geography. Yeah. Um, the, uh, well, not in the training league <laughs> geography doesn't matter in Southern California anymore, but no. regardless, but no, no, but your point is taken. Um, they work around those limitations by trying to scheme 
around big play prevention. And it was basically, we're going to, we are going to try to make teams go death by uh, kill us with a thousand cuts. And we're going to hope Layatu Latu emerges on one play to get a sack and puts it behind the sticks. And eventually we're going to force them into a long field goal or even just a field goal rather than a touchdown. And our offense will go score a touchdown after that. That was the kind of guiding philosophy behind everything they did defensively last year. And towards the end of the season, when the defense completely fell apart, Mm -hmm. um, they just lost that discipline. And um, and a lot of that had to do with injuries as well. Sure. Um, and obviously, Bill McGovern not being involved for uh, reasons. Uh, so they are going to – they will need um, Jordan Anderson and uh, the guy I think that 24-7 is projecting as the other starter at safety, the starting strong safety, Kenny Churchwell, to be that defensive – that tackling south for when – well, defense, yeah. Or when offenses get eight to ten yards on a carry or an intermediate level pass or something like that, there they Churchwell I know can do it because he's a good tackler who was playing linebacker last year. But I don't know if he has the instincts to play safety and kind of play up in that way. Jordan Anderson was good, but that was at Bowling Green, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, this is why we talk about rosters. Um, in addition to schemes, like you know, you can you can make that part of your scheme, and and you probably you know should, but like you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You know, like you have to actually have the guy execute it and make that tackle. For sure. And and like hats off to Osling and Blaylock, they were making those tackles, and you know, but now they're gone, and and we you know, and, and I think much of you know UCLA's defensive success will hinge on whether or not they're able to. Re- replicate that and like yeah maybe um with with church with church well i'm not sure that i see the same thing and like yeah maybe with anderson because it's like well maybe you have the muasau problem like again you know who knows i also think that if like if either of those guys don't work out it might be a problem because like i don't know who else this room has in it i mean i I mean, I know what their names are. Their, their names are William Nimmo, Kamari Ramsey, and Clint Stevens, but I've never really seen those guys play. You know, Ramsey and Stevens were true freshmen uh, last year. Um, I, I don't know much about them. I, they, they were both four stars. Nimmo, I, I'm just going to write off. That guy's a redshirt senior, and I've never seen anything good, great coming out of him. I would have by now. A- anything for Ramsey and Stevens? Ramsey is somebody that they have very high hopes for. Um, he's somebody who they actually, one of the few recruitments that they put a lot of effort into a couple of years ago, uh, trying to flip him from Stanford, which they eventually did. Uh, a local guy from Southern California, mid four star guy, like you talked about from Sierra Canyon. And Ramsey is somebody that they've put a lot of faith in his development at the safety position. Um, he has all the physical tools like we've talked about for a lot of these guys, um, but he is somebody who is a little bit more instinctual as well. I think Ramsey is going to work his way into the ro- I think he's going to be a firm rotation guy at the safety position. And eventually I think he's going to take um, either Anderson or Churchwell's job later into the season. Um, most likely Churchwell. You think that switch might happen mid season? I think it'll happen mid season. This year. I mean, yes. in 2023. Yep. Hmm, um, yeah. I, I think that Ramsey is somebody who similar to Dante Moore. If you have guys who, when they show roughly similar or levels within similar ballparks, you have to go with the longer term, higher upside guy. And for if for the sake of the program, and I think Ramsey is going to work himself into that type of a status alongside either Anderson or Churchwell, um, basically showing that hey, I can roughly replicate what they're giving you, but it's worth investing in me right now. Stevens I, I didn't mean, play I- last. Oh, good. 
Well, I mean, I think that's logical and that's how I would manage a program. Mm. Um, but UCLA, yeah. <laughs> but Chip Kelly rather, um, and Clint, then Clint, Stevens. Steven, Clint Stevens is a really, really, really good athlete. That was the book on him coming out of high school. I, I think he was another local kid or unless he was like Fresno, no Inglewood. So yeah, he went to, he was at Inglewood with uh, TJ Harden and, um, uh, Justin Martin, actually, they were all on the same team. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, Clint Stevens was somebody who was a really, really good athlete coming out of high school. Um, he's battled injury issues since getting to UCLA. If he gets on the field, uh, or um, let me rephrase that, if he gets healthy, I think that they don't have a choice but to put him on the field because he has a level of ranginess that I don't think that the rest of their safeties have. And I think you just let him, you have to let him be a two deep, two deep guy who figures it out and lets, uh, you have to let him sink or swim because his uh, that level of range is not something they have amongst any of their other options at safety. Uh, what you said, if he's healthy, is there an injury problem? Yeah, he was hurt for the spring and he was hurt in the fall last year and he came in in the fall. So nobody's actually seen him kind of play yet. <laughs> to be but you think it, like uh, assuming that Ramsey or Stevens is ready to go, they, they eat Nimmo's lunch, right? I, Nimmo, I think is break glass in case of emergency, because if he was, yeah. if he was going to be a starting safety, it would have been last year rather than switching Mo Osling to safety. Yeah. If they had that faith in him, yeah. he would have started last year. Yes. They would have put Osling at the nickel corner and they would have had a little bit more cut. Osling covers more ground than an Azizi Hearn, who was a bit of a turnstile last year. That would have made the whole defense stronger if Nimmo was playable. So if he wasn't playable last year, I mean, guys can improve, of course, but I mean, I don't see any reason why you why anyone would think that he would hold off either Ramsey or Stevens. Let me just uh, finish reciting uh, who I think is on the roster. I believe they took an unrated Juco Zeke Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, we already mentioned Ty Lee as one of the freshman uh, recruitments. And the other one I think is a uh, 0.89 RJ Jones. Yep. Um, what do you think happens to Jones? Jones is, I now I get him and Ty Lee confused because they both went to uh, St. John Bosco. I think they were teammates. One of them was a guy who fell out of the rotation at Bosco last year. So that doesn't really fill me with a ton of hope that uh, that that's a guy who's going to be playable at UCLA anytime soon. Uh, people can obviously work their way. Um, it can the light can turn on. But yeah, they both. I'm looking it up right now. They both went to St. John Bosco. I, one of them, and I'm confusing them, so I apologize which one is which. But one of them was a guy who was a bit of a stalwart for St. John Bosco, and the other was a guy who fell out of the rotation there and fell behind on uh, the upperclassmen. But uh, UCLA still brought him in anyway. I believe R.J. Jones was the one who fell out of that rotation. So I well, have I a just little think- bit faith, less faith in him as a result. I, I would just think as a logical proposition, if you've got you know, two redshirt freshman blue chips, Ramsey and Stevens, and one true freshman blue chip Jones that like the redshirt freshmen are more likely to play than the true oh, freshmen. It's upcoming you know, like, season for sure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's it for the room. Is there anybody yep. else that I haven't mentioned? No, no, that's everybody. Okay. Yep. All right, man. I, I think we've mentioned everybody on the roster, um, yep. which again is something that, uh, you know, shouldn't have <laughs> taken us two hours <laughs> to get through if UCLA had just posted the damn roster, but we, <laughs> I needed to ask you about every human being. So thank you for I got uh, you, buddy. running through all of them with me. Of course. Yeah. 
uh, Michael, uh, once again, yeah, yeah, thanks for me too. I mean, not everyone uh, will come on to a podcast and talk to about a Pac-12 team for two plus hours. So we we could not thank you enough for that. And it's honestly, well, Big Ten fans are that obsessive. Which that's true. UCLA yeah, definitely is. Right in. I was so. about to say. I was about to say it's one of the great losses uh, of these LA schools is that we won't be able to really. Uh, it'll be a while if ever we invite you again for one of these uh, roster reviews, but we'll have to think of something else to get you on here. Um, I'm uh, not sure if we Oregon don't play each other this season unless it's in the uh, Pac-12 title game. Yeah, well, we'll have so to make we, up. We got to root for that then. <laughs> I mean, we'll play in a Rose Bowl. There you go. And then, there you, and then oh, yeah, exactly that classic uh, that classic Big Ten Pac-12 match, Pac-10 matchup, or is it? Is, is, is it, oh, I, I've stopped following. Are SMU and San Diego State happening? Uh, who knows? Who knows? That's all I got to say. Who knows if yep. we're all getting paid in the future, even <laughs> each each individual school. Um, I, I mean, those uh, those primetime <laughs> slots on Ion TV, uh, you know. So, Ooh, well, I don't know. I'm I still know, rooting yeah, for the I CW. Mean, half the paycheck is going to Comcast, and the other half is going to Calimony. So, oh my god, <laughs> uh, that just you. I, wait, does Oregon have Calimony, or is that? Are you talking yeah, I don't about know. I, everybody I has say. to tie them a little bit. I think. <laughs> What a freaking mess. Anyway, um, yeah, it, we need to find an excuse to get on together. Hopefully it's for the Pac-12 championship game this year, a last hurrah between Oregon and UCLA for the foreseeable future. But, um, it, I mean, basketball in the tournament or something like that. I don't know if you guys cover basketball. or. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. big time. Maybe All not right. quite this thoroughly, but yeah, we yeah. certainly talk about some basketball. Yeah. Yep, fair enough. And, no, uh, just shoot the shit and talk football one of these days. I don't even know. Absolutely. I mean, hey, it's been great talking to you. And listeners, once again, please, Michael Hanna, at Michael M. Hanna, H-A-N-N-A on Twitter. And then also, while you're there, while you're on that garbage site, also go to the B-Team podcast. That is a great follow, uh, especially if you want to follow this uh, once Pac-12 team, now Big Ten team. Uh, really great listen, especially during the football season. And go over to Apple Podcasts, give them five stars, uh, leave them a, a comment, write something. Just just help Michael out because he really helped us out. Really uh, decipher a mess of a roster. Yep. Uh, nice talking uh, to you, Michael. Uh, my pleasure. Um, if you guys ever need help with anything related to UCLA hieroglyphics, I'm here for you. <laughs> and Hitler Day, uh, as always, thanks for all the work you put in. Uh, my pleasure. It was a good time to you guys. All right, and we will see y'all next week for for maybe a less complicated. I don't know. By the way, you have the record uh, this year for for longest roster review. So, Ooh-hoo. way to go, Michael. All right. Hey, Colorado's coming up. <laughs> oh, that is true. Oh dear lord. Uh, oh boy. Here we go. Uh, we'll see y'all next week. Quack quack, and um, roar. I guess. Uh, yeah, that's what a Bruin does. Okay. Bye.